0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning. Good Monday morning. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're once again Dr. Matliss, who selfishly took his wife to Las Vegas to uh, enjoy a couple of nights there. I think he's actually just speaking. And uh, I don't know that they're going to do anything totally memorable in Las Vegas, but uh, I don't know that you can when you don't drink or gamble or smoke or do any of that kind of stuff. But uh, we wish him well and a a speedy return. He'll be back on Wednesday. Uh, Terry, I know you had a good weekend, right? You saw a movie that I'm so jealous that you saw. It was all right. It
3: was all right? saw the Lego Batman movie, yeah. There's some things I read where people were saying it's the best Batman movie ever. Well, no. It's a little kid's movie. Better than
2: than the Adam West made-for-TV Batman movie? There's many
3: things that are better than that.
2: Oh. Well, that's debatable.
3: It was an enjoyable movie.
2: So I was going to see that. My parents were in town, and I, I gave them one instruction. I said, whatever you do, don't go see that movie without us. Huh. My dad called me like 30 minutes before they were going to see it up in Salt Lake and said, Hey, we're going to see it. You want to go see it? And of course, I didn't see that voicemail until an hour and a half later. So that proved to be too difficult for him to to follow. But I forgive him. I forgive him. We're all about forgiveness on the show. I actually went with my wife to Dr. Matt's date night at Murray High School. Okay. And uh you know I thought for like the first hour I was like is Matt you have I mean you could have a great career as a stand up comedian hmm. he had the audience in stitches and then he finally got around to you know some of the relationship coaching hmm. and uh yeah I mean this isn't a shameless promotion for for Matt Townsend's date nights which he has probably once a quarter I don't know Terry's never been
4: no, have
3: you? I have not. <laughs> Nor I, does he plan to go. I speak with him daily. I got it. I do his thing with him just, daily.
4: Yeah. He doesn't need any more coaching.
2: No, not to not to give a shameless plug, but it was very entertaining and uh it it gave us a lot of good things to think about. Uh my wife kept saying on the way home, "You know, I don't know if I'm like being if I'm full of myself, but I think we're doing okay." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so that was good to hear. My wife say that we're doing okay. Um, I but love you, honey. It does if you're feel
3: kind of like you're full of yourself after you just heard someone tell you, "Here's some things to think about." And you're like, "I don't need to do any of that." Here's
4: some things to improve. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
3: even though you might be fine, I'm you know, fine. everything's fine. There's I'm no good. problem. But you're like, "That's that's my other thing is if there's no problem and why why go in there and upset the." The balance. Yeah. Well,
2: I, I think the reasoning is you. The, there's always room for improvement. Mm. And that's hard to argue. That's very difficult to argue. Uh, but anyway, we had a good time. And uh, we'll see if Matt can get Terry to the next one. Anyway, we're going to be talking about some, some fun things here on the program today. Joe Cannon is going to be coming up, uh, hopefully, on the program here in just a little bit, helping us make sense of all the craziness that's going on in the world. There were some more... Highly entertaining Saturday Night Live sketches over the weekend that had to do with Sean Spicer and Donald Trump in court. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of that, but uh, we'll be talking about that as well as today is Clean Out Your Computer Day. A very special day, a day to to get rid of all the junk that's sitting on your desktop and all those files that you never look at that you keep telling yourself that you will it, how, what does your desktop look like, Terry?
3: It's very clean. There's nothing there because I do this all the time.
2: You celebrate this every day.
3: Mm, I just do it.
2: Uh, <laughs> so it's not like there's not like cake and ice cream or hey, – No, I mean just okay. – You
3: dress up for it or <laughs> – I, I see desktops where you look at it and it's just covered with files. Yeah. And the more stuff that's on the desktop, the slower your computer runs. Mm. So put it in a file somewhere. Just get it off your desktop, but people don't. So. <sighs> So it's celebrate just so easy that today to
4: stuff on the desktop.
2: It's true.
3: I guess if you want your computer to run horribly. I always
2: will save stuff there thinking, "Oh, I'll just delete it later or move it to a different folder," and then I never do. But I think that's what everybody Today's
3: does. Today's the day for you.
2: Thank you. Today is also Madly in Love with Me Day, which I would think would just be tomorrow on Valentine's Day. So I wonder what the difference is between no, the two. No, this is about
3: loving yourself. Tomorrow's oh. about loving others.
2: Oh, so madly in love
3: with myself day. Yeah, mm-hmm. so take a day for you. Tomorrow, somebody else. Really?
2: Hmm. Well, you've given me a lot to chew on. I don't think I would get away with having a day all about me, though. Anyway, you decide whether or not you're going to celebrate that, but definitely do celebrate Clean Out Your Computer Day. First and foremost, before we get on to uh, some of these entertaining topics, that was a horrible segue because that would imply that what Terry's about to say is not entertaining. I, 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 uh, I redact that statement. Let's head on over to Terry South to hear what's going on in the rest of the country. Terry, what's up?
3: National Security Advisor Michael Flynn may be in danger of losing his job, according to the Wall Street Journal. The administration is reportedly weighing whether to dismiss Flynn over his controversial contacts with, a, with Russian officials and the publicity surrounding it. Flynn has allegedly apologized to President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, who are said to have disagreed over the appropriate response to the situation. He apologized to everyone, an official told the Journal on December 29th. Flynn spoke by phone with Russian Ambassador Sergey Kislyak. In initially uh, denied that he discussed new sanctions opposed by the Obama administration before he was actually in the position as mm. national security advisor so he's just a regular citizen trying to talk diplomacy with another foreign government and that's illegal uh, whether he did it or not is the question because he says he didn't do it later he admitted that oh, the conversation couldn't have talked about some of the sanctions that happened and that was after uh, Vice President Pence went on for national networks and said that he didn't do this so now it looks like the vice president lied on national tv wow transcripts of his phone calls cooperate that flynn and the ambassador did indeed discuss the accused topics good news so So they know he did it now the white house what are they going to do about it so he's had this job
2: for what a month
3: yeah and before he even had the job he allegedly if this is what they take it to the level of he broke the law in doing what he did in talking to this ambassador. Ah. I wonder if he'll receive counsel also. Could be. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, Protesters took to the streets in 18 cities across Mexico Sunday demonstrating against the policies and comments of President Donald Trump. A protest in Mexico City drew more than 20,000 people near the U.S. Embassy with the crowd showing up with a sea of Mexican flags and anti-Trump sentiments. According to one Mexican poll... Eighty percent of the citizens surveyed said they believe that relations between the two nations will be worse under Trump's presidency than it was under previous administrations. Uh, In other news, water levels at the nation's tallest dam dropped Sunday night, halting overflows down the Oroville Dam. Uh, the, The Oroville Dam severely eroded emergency spillway. There's a huge pothole, they're calling it, in the side of the cement dam. And it's so full because of all the rain that the they had to send it over an emergency overflow, but that emergency overflow has got this huge hole in it. So they're just waiting for the ah. thing to explode and burst and send what they're calling a possible thirty-foot wall of water rushing down through this valley, where anywhere from a hundred to two hundred thousand people live. They were all told to evacuate yesterday because this thing's going to fall apart. Uh, yeah, and uh, apparently the water levels are easing at the moment. Seems, <sighs> seems legit. So we'll see what happens. But that was kind of fun to watch yesterday. You're like, they're evacuating people. It went from like 100 to 130 to 200,000 people had to. Oh, my god! Yeah, you know, this is, uh, what, 150 miles northeast of San Francisco. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So kind of fun.
5: Oh, and stay it was just, safe.
3: This, they, they started uh, noticing a couple weeks ago that the dam is in disrepair, but they were in drought last year. Right, hmm. so no big deal. We'll fix it. Well, they didn't get to it, and now it's they're, a
2: problem. They're focusing on a different wall. Who
3: knows? Um, and also, we talked about Lego Batman. That movie made fifty-five million over the weekend. It was supposed to make anywhere from sixty to seventy. Yeah, so it actually I, underperformed
2: that because I think the the Lego movie made seventy or eighty million dollars opening weekend. Right. Interesting. So, uh, so like fifteen or twenty dollars of that came from the South family. More, grandma. Oh, <laughs> it was gift cards, <laughs> grandma. South. I've, hey, I've, that's I've,
3: I've how paid, you do it. I haven't paid for movies in like three, four years.
2: So one of the reviews that I read for that movie said, maybe they should just make all of the DC movies into Lego movies.
3: I don't know. Might was, be better. I was talking to my mom, my uh, my mom, my uh, who was I talking to? Oh, it's my wife. Because there's all these DC uh, Lego DC movies that are little animated features right. for kids, and they're all just like they're. They don't have anything to do with the whole Lego movie. Mm-hmm. And so people are all, all, all into this. Let's create a universe. Is there a Lego universe now so everything exists and – you know, and I don't know. If they did that, it would get really confusing because the, the way they're, they're setting these up, it's uh, – like there, there, there was a question whether there was a, a, a trailer cut scene. Hmm. Like leading onto a new movie and teasing ahead because this is a whole universe and it's going to turn into like the Marvel movies. It'll be like thirty <laughs> movies interconnected, all in Legos. No, they're not doing that.
2: You know that seems to be the thing these days. Marvel's doing it. DC is trying, trying to do. To do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: there is yes. a there is a Ninjago movie coming out. I've heard that one's really good. It, it looks kind of. Jackie Chan is in it, isn't he? I think. It way he, he no way. It. Oh. So more more Lego go Lego toy lines into movies. I'm not sure if they all share the same universe. I'm not sure if they're supposed to, but that's kind of the the hope by some is let's make this all one world of Lego where all this happens.
4: Yeah. Like I gotta say I love the film theory people to see the things that they come up with. It's incredible.
2: Well, pretty soon, the Lego universe is going to join the DC universe somehow, and then they're going to join the Marvel universe. It's all just going to be one big happy family. Right. Yeah.
3: So go see it if you want. It's an okay movie.
2: Go see it if you, Oh, what a great review. Go see, see, see it if you, you want. want. It's, a, I didn't, it's an okay movie. After watching
3: it, I'm like, I don't know, because it's getting like 90 to 93%. Some people really yeah. are enjoying it. I saw it. It was like, ah, oh, it's funny. There's some funny parts, but... You know,
2: sometimes we just need an escape, and I. It seems like this is the type of movie that offers us that escape, where we can just go and laugh at something other than what is happening in the world right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know,
4: if Grandma's paying, go see it.
2: Absolutely, thanks, Grandma. <laughs> well, I know. I know we. Uh, We may be saving some of the Saturday Night Live sketch stories. Anything else that you wanted to talk about before we try to get uh –
3: This this one I found funny. Yesterday they had a – last couple weeks the White House designates one person and they go around to all the networks except CNN. You're right. And, and talk, right? So, and again, so before it was uh, Mike Pence went around all the networks except CNN, mm-hmm. and that's when they offered Kell- Kellyanne Conway, and they said, oh, we don't want her because she <laughs> has some reliability issues, and then that was a whole thing. This week, it was Stephen Miller. Mm-hmm. Now, he is an assistant to the president, but he works directly with Steve Bannon. This is different from Steve
2: Miller from the Steve Miller band. Absolutely. Because this is a guy in politics, not a musician.
3: Um, So Steve Miller, and you watch him and he's so young, which makes me feel so old to say that about someone else. (laughs) But you watch him and he's so just sitting there just matter-of-factly saying things that he can't verify at all. He went off on the voter fraud thing again, right, mm-hmm. talking about – he goes, you go to Vermont – or it was it New Hampshire? Anyone in New Hampshire politics knows there's voter fraud going on. Just go ask them.
2: I well, thought no, we were, we're done with all we're that. We're
3: talking to you. You're, you're, you're a representative from the White House. You're making claims again and you have no evidence except for telling them to, to go to New Hampshire. No but, ask,
4: no, but it's real. Go there.
3: Go talk to them. Man. No, but well, it's real. And so, again, no, no evidence for this, but he, they keep going forward with this. And it's like, you won. Remember, you won the election, right? There's no reason to keep this going. So he talks about that. He talks about, um, what was it, Chris Wallace. We won't, we won't run this one, but Chris Wallace on Fox News asked Steve Miller about um, personal attacks. Are they you, – you're calling out Senator McCain. You're calling out different people in Congress that you're going to have to work with at some point. Mm-hmm. Right? Trump talked about uh, Mitch – not Mitch McConnell but um, Schumer from the Democrat side of the of the Senate yeah. crying and how there were fake tears. and you know, I need to find out who his acting coach is. And I, so at some point, you're going to have to talk to him. Yes. I get him to agree to something so you can pass some of these initiatives and you're mocking him for emotions that he showed on camera. Whether you think they're real or not, it doesn't help the situation down the road. And, and, and the answer was, well, all these people voted for us, so we're strong and this is how we're going to fight for them. Yeah. By teasing people that oh, – it just doesn't make any sense the way they go about it. But this one I found the most – Humorous Play Clip 4. This is Stephen Miller on ABC News.
6: Sean Spicer from the podium said the decision by Nordstrom on to pull those, uh, those products of Ivanka Trump was a direct attack on the president's policies. Sears and Kmart this week have decided to pull Mr. Trump's home furnishing lines from their websites. Is that a direct attack on the president's policies as well?
1: I'm not going to make a comment on that. I don't have any information on it. I do want to say that Sean Spicer, as always, is 100% correct. Always. And that what he said is true and important, and I agree with it. So then you are making a comment on it. I'm not going to make any new comment. I'm going to stand by the White House press secretary and his comments. There you
3: go. He's 100%.
1: Always. Wow. Always correct. Which
3: is something no human can ever accomplish. So he went ahead and backed the guy that has had to back – He earlier in the week, of course, he talked about the Atlanta terrorism ta- attack that never happened. And he said it's, he meant Orlando, not yeah. Atlanta. And just there's all kinds of things that happen. And it's like he just comes out and says he's 100 percent correct always.
2: Does the Trump administration need some kind of a mathematician or statistician on their on their staff Uh, to just point out these numbers and say these might not be as accurate as you think?
3: There's entire departments in the government they could rely on if they, I don't know, call them up and talk to them. That's too much work. Just uh, this this specific week was interesting because they put a policy. He kept saying, I'm a policy. Uh, advisor. I'm not here to talk about specific, you know, ideas from the president. I'm not here to speak for him. So then they go, so the white house sent you here. You have nothing specific to talk about. And then it was something that's like this Michael Flynn situation where did Mm -hmm. he talk to the Russian ambassador before the, before Trump's inauguration, right? Did he break the law? Is there something, is there an investigation on, I'm not here to talk about that. It's like, so the white house sent you here with nothing to say on that big important topic that's been going on for two weeks now and he's like nope I have nothing to say on that Mm. maybe you should talk to the president about that
2: (laughs) see now they would never do that to somebody like Sean Spicer they would never send him out to the microphone with nothing really substantial
3: to say that happens quite a bit I mean they (laughs) asked about the the counseling that Kellyanne Conway got and he goes nope that's all we got to say she got some counseling and we're done Hmm. She got
4: sent to the counselor's office.
3: Yeah. It's, so it's it's interesting the way they're 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 doing this. They send one person out. They answer certain questions. Other questions, they're like, well, I really have no no reason to be able to talk about that. It's really not my area of focus. I'm like, well, hmm. how are you a spokesperson for the White House then if you can't talk about what's happening at the White House? Yeah, but would you rather get
2: misinformation or just? Fluff.
3: He should have some sort – if he's going to speak for the White House, which he was billed as, he should be able to speak for the White House. But, I mean, I I think He's maybe the wrong person to bring out. I think it's acceptable
2: to say, I don't have enough information on that. Let me get back to you. And then follow up, of course. There's no follow up. Okay. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) That's the problem. Therein lies the problem. Well – In just a minute here, we're going to be talking to Joe Cannon. He's our Joe in the know, as we like to call him. He's going to help us make a little bit more sense of this, hopefully. And uh, we'll have some fun with him when he comes back. We'll have him on the line here. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live more informed and happier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Every Monday, we have the wonderful opportunity to speak with our friend Joe Cannon, who we like to call our Joe in the Know. He is our Washington Insider. He's the chairman of, or he was uh, the chairman of the Utah Republican Party from 2002 to 2006. And he's also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, uh, which is fuelfreedom.org, if you would like to look that up. He was a candidate for the U.S. Senate in 1992. He served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency from 1983 to 1985, and he was named the editor of the Deseret Morning News on December 8, 2006. Joe, welcome back to the program.
7: Hey, well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Did you have a good weekend?
7: I did have a good weekend, yeah. It was a fine weekend.
2: And uh, any big plans for tomorrow night? It's Valentine's Day.
7: No, sadly, tomorrow night I'm going to be in Washington, T.C., away from my Valentine, but we'll figure something out.
2: You know, uh, I if you're wondering what to get your Valentine, by the way, I've heard that uh, there's a great line of products that you can go online and buy, um, but they're no longer available in Nordstrom stores.
7: Right. You need to go to buy Ivanka stuff on uh, Amazon. <laughs> I've heard that, yeah. We're, we're kind of not... Uh, into that fashionable kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah, that takes a good hint. I'll, I'll mention that.
2: <laughs> Joe, does does Kellyanne Conway deserve all the heat that she's getting for the comments that she made?
7: Well, I and mean, that's a good question. I mean, she she does deserve at least whatever chastisement she's got. I mean, to to to, but to be fair, I really doubt that what was going on in her brain was how can I help uh, financially help Ivanka, I think it was really you know a kind of almost an instinctive strike back at people she regards as you know her adversaries and um, so i mean she's she 's taken a ton of abuse on that, but i 'm not sure she did anything actually illegal and i and I think she does understand that she probably did something wrong, but she seems fairly unchastened in her overall you know her overall response to her critics and to the president's critics.
2: Yeah. Um so you know we'll talk about this in a second but somebody that is also in the news uh lately is Michael Flynn over some some comments that he made. Now he they're talking about him maybe getting pushed out. It, it how how long does does Trump stay with Kellyanne Conway, not just for remarks like this, but is he still having this wonderful relationship that he's had with her all along?
7: Well, uh, notwithstanding what you and Matt often say, I, I don't actually know what's going on on the inside, especially of, of uh, President Trump land. But having having said that, I, I think the two cases, the Mike Flynn and Kellyanne Conway cases, are... Very, very different. I uh, I think Kellyanne has taken whatever hit she's going to take internally, maybe not externally yet, but internally. And and I think the president really likes her and relies on her. The Flint thing is uh, way, way different. I mean, that is where you know there were apparently uh, sort of not not just misstatements but misleading statements about what. Uh, conversations he had with his, well, I wouldn't say his Russian counterpart, but with uh, the Russian ambassador. That is a much more serious thing. And I I do think, and just based on reading things in the Wall Street Journal and other places, internally there's a lot more discussion about what to do with Mike Flynn. And maybe he gets a pass, maybe, you know, one more step and he's gone, uh, the the support around him is not nearly as firm, as near as I can tell internally, as it is for Kellyanne Conway. I I wouldn't even equate the two. I mean, the two are so that it was a Conway's statement was sort of flippant off the off the cuff, uh, you know you know responsive kind of in the heat of the moment. There seems to be a much more deliberate pattern in the Mike Flynn uh, situation that is. Maybe even pretty dangerous, I don't know uh, uh i I think what he did actually made some people internally angry uh and apparently some some insiders are saying that Mike Pence felt betrayed, and that's a bad thing um, so uh, Flint could end up being one of the early expendables in the trump trump administration
1: right so uh, Joe. Help,
2: help us understand here, you know, obviously we want to be more informed. We don't want to rush to make judgments. And we'll talk about the ban here in a little bit. And that's another area where I think, you know, it's possible to to rush to a judgment being not informed enough. Is there is there anything that... The general public might not be aware of as far as michael flynn goes and and what what is there that we might not understand that's that makes this a little bit not so cut and dry basically
7: yeah well i i don't know i mean i, I just in my own reading of of uh you know kind of a preparation for this morning's show, but just in general reading and listening to what people are saying I mean, he's he walked down a you know, a pretty dangerous path. I, I, I don't think there was anything per se wrong with him having conversations with anybody. You know, the fact that, yeah, there was still a president in place it's not particularly compelling to me because there's a transition. The Russians aren't we're not gonna spend a lot of time talking to the Obama folks anyway. There's a you know, there's a there's, I I'm not I'm not personally troubled by that, but to say that they didn't talk about sanctions, to tell people inside The government the new government that they didn't talk about sanctions i don't know that's that's kind of problematic um so i don't know that there's anything new i don't have any insight other than what i've heard and read uh but it could be that that mr flynn has general flynn sorry has, has moved in a in a in a wrong direction
2: Right, yeah, you know it's interesting when when we were talking about this i I thought about other professions where this type of thing happens and i I recall uh, Brian Williams making some statements in the news that were less than true, and uh you know just thinking about- thinking back about what the results of that of those decisions were i basically demoted i he he might not word it that way, but interesting um Talk to us a little bit more about what's going on with the ban. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if you watch Saturday Night Live over the weekend, but this is one thing that they poked fun at in taking it to the, the people's court with Donald Trump and the, and the three judges. What, uh, what new developments can you talk to us about there?
7: Well, I'm not sure that I have any new developments. I do want to go on record of saying I have never watched Saturday Night Live and I've, it's very distressing to me that it's regarded as such a source of news whenever they do something because they're uniformly, uh, you know, once in a while they took some light jabs at, you know, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. But they're utterly and totally predictable when it comes to, to Republicans and uh, generally harsh. So I didn't see that. uh I don't, you know, I just, on this one, I don't really know any more than anybody else does. Uh, you know, the, the, obviously the, the, the Trump folks are thinking about, well, what are we going to do going forward? There are a lot of different possibilities there. I think the more interesting thing about, well, obviously the issue of the ban itself is very serious. I, I don't want to minimize that. I, I Apparently a bunch of terrorists have come in from these countries. Uh, I think it is the president's primary responsibility to protect Americans from uh from harm uh both domestically and internationally. Um that's a proper exercise of uh, executive branch authority. But you have this whole thing that's introduced an interesting thing to, to the public and that is the whole genius of the founders in uh in how they created the government, how they set up the government. So you have three branches of government, executive, legislative, and and judicial. And this is shaping up to be kind of a classic executive judicial branch um, fight. And and, and it could be interesting if it actually goes to the Supreme Court. There are so many ways this can get resolved uh, without a Supreme Court big constitutional crisis challenge, but it could end up with uh, decisions – that further delineate the power of the courts versus the power of the executive branch that could be decided uh you know ultimately by the supreme court
2: so one thing that we you know that we can read about right now is that it looks like trump's team is is thinking about coming up with a replacement executive order that uh, that could help things along here. D- do you have any idea or or insight of what that might look like, uh, what a new executive order would look like in terms of the ban?
7: Yeah. Well, I you know, again, I don't know what they would be writing, but I can say one of the things they could do, whether they decide to push back or not, I mean, that's a, those are tactic questions I don't know. But one thing they could do is just refashion an executive order that deals with the objections of the lower court judge and of the Ninth Circuit. You could just you could look at it, and you know, honestly, they probably should have looked at this a little closer with a little more care before they issued the order in the first place. I, I mean, apparently, you didn't have a lot of lawyers looking at this who are used to litigating these kind of things, and and so they they might have been able to save themselves some grief initially but regardless now where, where they are is uh, they could they could refashion recast this executive order in such a way that that meets the objections of the Ninth Circuit and reinforces uh there's more there's more uh, uh, judicial language there, there are cases on this other decisions on this that they can refer to that reinforce the role of the executive in, in protecting the uh, American citizens. Now, is this... They could recast it in a way that would make it a lot tougher to be uh, reversed or overruled by uh, courts.
2: Yeah, that kind of goes along with my next question. I was wondering, is this them being responsive to the concerns that are being brought up? Or is this more along the lines of, we're not sure, (laughs) we're not confident that we've got a case here?
7: Well, uh, I'm sure there, there's a tension going on in the uh, in the executive branch. Okay, we we believe we need to do something to increase uh, the protection of the the American population. So that's one thing that's going on. You obviously have the court battle going on too. So the question is, do we do one? One question they may well have is maybe they want to have a constitutional Uh, I don't want to say crisis, but a constitutional confrontation over this where they actually get to the Supreme Court. That's a little bit iffy, though, if you're the Trump administration, because uh, with four with eight justices on the Supreme Court now, a four four tie, which is, you know, not only plausible, maybe even likely in this kind of a case, simply affirms the Ninth Circuit decision. So there, there are all kinds of elements going going into this. So maybe they just figure, look, we're going to do what we could do to make our order as as bulletproof as possible and go forward and then wait till we get another justice on the Supreme Court and see what happens there.
2: Mm. Um, And part of the reason for this ban is so that they can identify a plan for this extreme vetting is the, the verbiage that Trump is using extreme vetting. Do you any insight or or any opinions on on what that extreme vetting would entail or what it should entail?
7: Uh, honestly, I I don't know what they mean by extreme vetting. But obviously, <laughs> they mean more intense. There's some level of vetting that's going on right now. So I mean, I don't think they're talking about torturing these these people coming in. Hopefully not. Talking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're they're just looking at uh, you know more uh, layers of investigation, more intensive investigation. I, I don't really know what that means. I'm guessing extreme vetting is is uh, uh, a made up term to looking, you know, to to focus on that they want to do more intensive evaluation of these folks.
2: Sounds extreme whatever it is it sounds extreme. Yeah. <laughs> well Joe let's do this. Let's take a break. Uh, when we return uh want to get back to this topic that uh, want to get to this topic that you had mentioned you wanted to talk about taming the regulatory state and we will do just that when we come back from the break. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he is away in beautiful Las Vegas, enjoying some lectures he's giving there. And uh, he's there with a sweetheart, too. So we wish him well, and he'll be back here in just a couple of days. We've been speaking with Joe Cannon, who is our Washington Insider. And uh, before we went to the break, I teased a topic that Joe wanted to cover here, and we wanted to make sure to give him enough time to, to talk about this Joe, tell us more about taming the regulatory state and what you mean by that.
7: Okay, well, well I, I admit uh, this is probably a really boring and fairly esoteric subject, but it is one that touches everyone's lives, everyone of our lives in a pretty in a, in a pretty intimate way. What we kind of moved, got me to thinking about it this morning was this whole uh, uh Inter branch conflict over immigration we've got the courts and and the uh, executive branch you know fighting over what can should be done here. but the administrative state is basically all these administrative agencies, uh, both federal, state and local by the way, but the the growth of administrative law and of administrative agencies and their control over every aspect of our daily lives. Really well uh, in the U.S. really started in a in a formal way uh, with the uh, all the alphabet agencies in the Roosevelt uh, Franklin Roosevelt administration. But what you have here is is a play, and why it's interesting now you've got you've got this current fight uh, over the immigration issue. But you also have uh, another thing that sort of illuminates this is the nomination of Judge Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court uh, puts this in in a lot more perspective, because one of the areas where he is different from uh, Justice Scalia is in this area. So, man, I know this is really boring, but it's kind of important to understand that The way we have come to where we have, you drive into Washington, D.C., and you see building after building after building of uh, basically regulatory folks, people issuing regulations and overseeing all parts of the economy. That has grown up over a long period of time. But one of the interesting things about this is that uh, it is basically Congress abdicating their authority to the executive branch by passing laws, and then saying to executive agencies like the Federal Communication Commission, like EPA, like the National Labor Relations Board, like the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, there are many, many, many of these. You will will pass a law, and you guys go make the regulations which uh, implement the law, and that's the thing that a lot of people think has gotten out of out of whack. So. Uh, a, a, a one way that boosted the authority of these administrative agencies was a decision in the 1980s called Chevron versus the Natural Resources Defense Council. That decision very ironically grew out, grew out of the actions of the administrator of EPA, the administrator of EPA, and Gorsuch, who is Neil Gorsuch's mother. He was a 15-year-old young man running around. Huh. Uh, I remember, I I, I worked for Ed Gorsuch and I remember this little boy. So this case came out of the Gorsuch uh, reign at uh, at EPA. It's called Chevron. And what it does is the Supreme Court said, we will defer. This is one of the most cited uh, cases in all of Supreme Court history, um, and we will defer to agencies and let them do what they want. Well, so now that's gone, grown and grown and grown and grown. Well, it turns out that Justice Scalia has written things, uh, uh, d- decisions that quote, very favorably quote the Chevron case. It's called the Chevron Doctrine these days. But Neil Gorsuch, Judge Gorsuch, has actually written things that are very critical of the amount of power that this judicial deference to administrative action uh has 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 created this uh the power of this regulatory administrative state so yeah the legislative branch evolved they're looking at how to undo and oversee regulations we've got the judicial branch now maybe i think you'll see some rethinking of chevron uh with gorsuch added to to the uh court also the executive branch itself the president is a is a war with these administrative agencies. And so he's issued uh, new executive orders that that talk about you've got to replace uh, for every new regulation, you have to replace it with you have to you have to get rid of two regulations. Right. On the surface, on the surface, that actually honestly sounds kind of silly. I mean, I, I in my own life, had a lot to do with uh, regular, regulatory reform, and regulatory issues. Uh, but the guts of that that executive order are much more telling i mean they basically are requiring the office of management budget and the agencies to do much more detailed cost analysis of these regulations and look and see if the benefits really outweigh the costs so anyway i you know i'm sorry this is such a boring topic no 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 <laughs> but it's, it's it's very critical to understand this whole this whole movement where the the growth of the administrative state has alarmed a lot of people. I mean, this is pretty bipartisan. I mean, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton both took very significant steps toward taming the administrative state. But I think we've seen it take a, a new and a much more significant turn uh, with the Trump administration and a Republican House and a Republican Senate looking at how do we get more rational regulation. And then you've got a court, which may now start being a little more skeptical of the Chevron doctrine, you can see a lot of changes in the next few years. I think that's the the takeaways for listeners this morning is, is stay tuned on the uh, on the administrative state. If anyone was actually interested in this, there's a fabulous book by a professor at Columbia University called "Is Administrative Law Unlawful?" and it basically takes this. Um, takes this discussion back to the Magna Carta and looking at the relationship between the sovereign or the executive branch exercising its power and what, if any, checks on that power, constitutional and judicial and other checks uh, are, are available. Anyway, it's, it sounds like kind of a boring book, but it's a very interesting read through uh, history, including what, what brought our founders to do what they did to prevent the sovereign-slash-executive from exercising unt- his untrammeled will over the people without the checks and balances. So it's a long, long history to this going, you know, back to 1215 and, the, and the Magna Carta to our very day I have this whole conflict. Okay, look, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get in that boring of a thing again, <laughs> I promise. So we'll, we'll stick to more, so, more interesting things. But under the... Surface of this iceberg, the point, the tip of the iceberg that we see, is a vast struggle going on over the role, nature, power, existence of the administrative state, and and it it involves all three branches of government. Uh, And I think that's something to pay attention to going forward.
2: So, Joe, we've got about a minute left. The book that you just mentioned was uh, is administrative law unlawful? Is that correct?
7: Right. Okay. guy named Philip. You can believe this,
2: Philip Hamburger. Really, <laughs> he's
7: making hamburger out of uh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah history of
2: administrative law. Yeah. So uh, you just mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me. You just mentioned uh, Neil Gorsuch. What uh, in in closing here? You know, he's made some statements about Trump's comments. You know, regarding the the judges and the the ban issue, as uh, disheartening and demoralizing. Uh why is Trump not going after him? And does he just have bigger fish to fry or is what's what's going on here?
7: Um, wow. Uh, I well, first of all, Judge Gorsuch's statements, I think, generally reflect the whole difference between executive branch and judicial branch. And what you have now is an appointment brings together all three branches. Obviously, somebody's getting appointed by the executive, subject to approval of the of the uh, leg- legislative branch. It's interesting in and of itself. Um, I think that uh, m- my guess is that Trump, if not welcomed, it, thought it was a pretty good, uh, if not tactic, a pretty good idea on Judge Gorsuch's part to distance himself a little bit to show that he has a certain amount of independence. So I don't, I don't see. Uh, the president withdrawing the nomination at all. And if anything, there's some fair amount of consternation among the Democrats in the Senate. First of all, you know they, they were the ones who put the statement out. These these initially were private conversations, and I think somewhere along the line, I don't know if it was Senator Blumenthal or whoever thought it was maybe a good idea to say, oh, look, there's some distance between this guy, uh, Gorsuch, and the president. But then all of a sudden, it's turning around to making this guy a little more sympathetic case, which the Democrats Really don't want uh, up there. So the whole that whole thing is uh, the, the whole his initial comments, the reaction of the Democrats in the Senate react the non-reaction of the president. Um, although people within the administration are saying plenty of things to reinforce the Gorsuch nomination is pretty interesting. There's in my judgment there's zero chance that he doesn't get on the uh, isn't named to the Supreme Court
2: well joe we appreciate you as always and uh, go go make sure to look up joe cannon on his website fuelfreedom.org he is the ceo of fuel of the fuel freedom foundation he's our joe in the know our washington insider as we like to call him and uh we will talk to him again next week when we come back we'll be speaking with our producer mckenna baus i almost said boss she's kind of like the boss uh, McKenna Baus, we'll, we'll take a quick break and come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, and we have Colin Tanner filling in for me on the board. That's me. Thank you, Colin. No and to my right, I've got McKenna Baus, who's here to talk. If you've seen the movie Jurassic Park, you know that. Uh, Not all parks are completely safe for humans. And she's going to be talking to us about another place in India that uh, might not be so safe.
8: Yeah, so there's this national park in India that is a reserve specifically for the Indian one honed rhinoceros. And when it was set up, um, you know, a number of years ago, there were very, very few. Um, of this particular kind of rhinoceros there. And now they've got over 2,400, and that makes up like two-thirds of all this kind of rhinoceros in the world. Oh, wow. So they're doing really well. Yeah. But it comes at a bit of a cost. Um, One of the biggest issues with endangered species is poaching, and this particular uh, park in India has taken the approach of basically shooting and killing anybody who gets close. Whoa. Yeah so conservation at what cost
2: interesting i could see a lot of arguments on either side of that you know which life is more valuable the the semi endangered rhino or the not so semi endangered human
5: yeah
4: so what was more what was more um dangerous for the human it was the rhinos are being shot because they're close to a rhino that's a good question the thing
8: question. is is they didn't even have to get close to the rhinos these People, if they walk onto the borders of the park and the park doesn't have very defined borders, you know, it just sort of blends with the natural jungle around it, people walk over and they're getting shot. And some of them are poachers, but you get villagers from the nearby villages who, you know, their cow wandered through the woods and thereafter to find their cow, and all of a sudden you're getting <sighs> villagers getting shot and killed too because mm. it's sort of a very no-mercy approach.
2: Kind of sounds like a shoot-first, ask-questions-later mentality. So they really ought to have more clearly defined boundaries if they're going to adopt this practice of shooting people that may or may not be poachers.
8: That would definitely be one good way to go about this. Okay. Um, but you know a lot of people are saying they shouldn't have that right to just shoot anybody to begin with because it's sort of circumventing you know the justice system. It's like yeah, these people may be breaking the law, but all of a sudden they're not getting any rights to trials or anything like that. It's just execution with no questions asked.
5: Yeah,
2: that doesn't seem right at all. Seems very wrong. Um interesting. So are they doing anything about this?
8: Right now, not so much. Okay. Um, it's sort of one of those issues that's just coming to light and people are starting to talk about a lot because there is some concern over it. But at the same time, you know, while in the past three years, over 50 different poachers or supposed poachers have been killed um, in this park, mm. they are having some of the greatest rates of success in terms of, you know, protecting a species on this park. And You know, if these people are lawbreakers, well, you know, the animals didn't do anything wrong. And it's definitely deterring poaching. Mm. So is it worth it?
2: Maybe it's working. No rhyme or reason. No rhyme nostris or reason. Very nice. Colin, what a great segue to our commercial, too. We're going to take a break. Thank you, McKenna. What an interesting topic. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion and have some more fun. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter. At
1: Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. It is Monday. Still Monday. It was the last hour and it still is. And that means it's also still clean out your computer day. So uh, if things are getting a little cluttered on your desktop or in folders that you never look in, just clean it out. Take out the trash, and uh, you're going to feel better about yourself. Terry must feel good about himself every day because he—that's his life every day, cleaning it out. I don't even think about it. It's just something you just that do happens. It. Wow, it's part of life. <sighs> so madly in love with me, day. It's a day we celebrate here at the Matt Townsend Show where everybody must be in love with me.
9: That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Hmm.
2: So some of you are taking that with a grain of salt. Anyway, uh, McKenna and Terry and, and Colin, I'm anxious to see how you're going to celebrate today. Being in love with me day. I, I don't know if it's being in love with, with you, Jeff, or if it's being in love with yourself. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. Anyway, uh, we'll talk more about those fun topics here throughout the show. Uh, Speaking of fun topics, here in a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the sketches that appeared on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. And several of them were politically... uh, Charged, But that's not too surprising with everything that's going on around the country. And speaking of things going on around the country, let's turn it over to Terry South, who's going to give us some more of the headlines around the country. Terry, what's up? On Monday, the Senate is
3: expected to confirm two of President Trump's cabinet nominees, Steve Munchen, uh, if I'm saying his name right, the Treasury Secretary, and David uh, Shulkin, the head of the Department of Veteran Affairs. The voter, Munchen, is a former Top Goldman Sachs executive and Hollywood financier, of course, he he financed uh, the Suicide Squad, I believe. Will be much closer than uh, the other confirmation. Republicans argue that Munchin is well qualified to be Treasury Secretary because of his long experience on Wall Street. While Democrats say the same experience, including the thirty-six thousand homeowners his bank foreclosed on after the two thousand eight financial collapse is disqualifying for him in this job. Also, they point at $100 million in assets and a Cayman Island directorship that he failed to include on his financial disclosure forms to the Senate. And yet, none of those experiences as disastrous as Suicide Squad. Probably not, but still. <laughs> I like how he, 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 I think he, I saw him say that the $100 million in the Cayman account was just an oversight.
4: <laughs> oh so yeah, hundred million oh, dollar that oversight. Thing. Oh, they
3: came in. I uh, forgot about the money. Labor Secretary nominee Andrew Putzer also owes millions to UBS, a bank currently seeking a waiver from government sanctions. Now you gotta follow me on this. After it uh, confessed to tax evasion and interest rate manipulation, uh Putzer owes UBS between two point six and eleven point five million. That's a big between there. Usually you go yes. two to three, this is two to eleven. Yeah, it's another use, oversight. I probably owe like two to, yeah, two to eleven debts maybe. that he incurred from two mortgages and one line of credit. So, huh? Two mortgages. That's interesting. One line of credit. Uh, Putzer did not explicitly list the debt in a federal ethics agreement, which you need to fill out as you're being you're going through this process. Right. So another missing information. UBS currently facing federal sanctions requires a government waiver if the bank is to continue managing twenty two billion in federal funds. Mm-hmm. Right, So they're under investigation There's been a problem They need a waiver from the government To be able to manage all the federal funds that they manage If confirmed as Labor Secretary Putzer would have the power to grant that waiver Wow So he's in debt to USB USB needs a waiver from the very department This guy's in debt He's going to take over And then he could waive his own That company And
5: then maybe wow. do they forgive the debt See there's
3: a conflict of interest there I've got a question.
2: Speaking of these oversights, yes. you know, I've never yeah, been... Apparently,
3: the forms are very difficult to fill out.
2: I've never had a million dollars. I've never seen a million dollars. What do, What's an oversight to somebody like me who's not rich? I don't like know.
3: $10,000 maybe? maybe I, I don't know. 20000 Wow. You just said it was an oversight. This one's interesting because it just shows um, some more conflicts of interest. As you have someone who's in debt to a bank... Who's taking over a department? Who could then forgive this situation? It just it, it all looks it all looks bad. So that's the kind of things that are holding up these cabinet secretaries. That Republicans are saying it's obstructionist. Democrats are saying these are kind of serious. We need to look at these. So hmm. it's all politics. But I just found yes. that story interesting. That he could make it the person he owes money to. He could really help them out and get let them manage twenty-two billion dollars and in federal funds. And he can maybe get a little something on the side to help him out with his debt problem.
2: Kind of sounds like all those movies where you have somebody captured and they're trying to beg their way out by saying, I can get you
3: money. I I, I can make you rich No, that's not saying he wants to do that There's any evidence that's going to happen But I mean, the possibility that could happen is the issue Uh, Federal immigration officials Arrested more than 600 people Across at least 11 states last week Law enforcement officials said on Sunday It remained unclear whether the actions By Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents were part of a continuing Operation to round up illegal immigrants With criminal convictions or ramping up Deportations by the Trump administration The ICE uh, administration the ICE administration said that this has been in the planning for months and weeks and we've been working up to this point. And the, and the Trump White House said, yeah, it was all because of us. So there's like this conflicting – Trump takes credit for it. ICE is saying that something we've been planning for months. Since the Obama's administration. Yeah. So it yeah. says the focus of these targeted enforcement operations is consistent with the routine targeted arrests carried out by ICE's fugitive operations teams on a daily basis. So every day, this is just another day for ICE.
2: Well, I don't know about you, but my Trump would never take credit for something that wasn't his idea.
3: Okay. Well, that's wonderful. (laughs) Your, Your Trump.
2: He's my Trump.
3: And a Canadian man who vanished in 2012 has been found alive in the Amazonian rainforest after what is believed to have been a 6,000-mile walk what? from Canada to South America. A guy named Anton Pilipa, 39, found in northern Brazil last year, homeless, confused, and without any identification, had been wandering towns and highways in one of the most dangerous regions of the Amazon, according to... Uh, a GoFundMe page that was launched by his family. He let, uh, what he, let's see here. Nah, 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 nah. He w- disappeared March of 2012 amid a prolonged struggle with schizophrenia. It is believed he walked most of the way from Ontario to South America. So he may have hitched a ride here and there, but he, that's still quite a distance to move without some sort of car or an airplane Blake or, or a bike, something. something. And, uh, but yeah, they found him barefoot, without sun protection, and just in the Amazonian Rainforest, just what? kind of just, bumping just around just towns down up? there. Yeah. So wait, how did he get this money in his GoFundMe account? His family set it up, okay, as a way to fund the search for him. Oh, I gotcha. That's you. what the GoFundMe thing. Is. I gotcha. His family's like was going on a tour. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like him doing, "Hey, people, hook me up. I'm going to walk." Um. So yeah. So all, all of the pictures that they found of him in the in the rainforest, he's in bare feet. And just kind of wandered around. Well,
4: you heard here first, you know, if you're in Canada and you're sick of the weather, just walk on down to
3: the the Amazon (laughs) forest. Just hit the highway and keep walking. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm glad they found him. This says in December, police officer stumbled across a missing person poster with his image from around the time of the disappearance. She contacted the Twitter handle listed on the poster and received a response within minutes from a family friend. The friend put the. Person in charge with the brother of Pilipa, the guy that was lost, and they made arrangements for his return home. Mm. He briefly escaped police supervision in uh, down in that region. Eventually, police were notified that he had been uh, seen close. So it just goes on and on and on that they're just all these sightings of this random guy, and then they start seeing the posters. As I think the the they they started getting. Uh, a path of where he was going because people were seeing him. Huh. And so they'd flood the areas with posters and then they'd kind of get this idea that he was heading south.
2: So. so was he missing or was he wanted? Missing. Missing. Because Schizo- you said police yes, supervision, he gets- but he had schizophrenia, well, huh? Yes, he
3: schizophrenia, he's missing, so mental illness oh, man. and just took They're off. They're trying to find him. Wow.
2: It sounds like one big long game Mo- of Where's Waldo.
3: Yes. Could be a movie someday probably. mm. How, how does somebody get from Canada with schizophrenia to the Amazonian rainforest?
2: I think you're on to something. It's I think it that will December. be a movie someday. <laughs> speaking of movies, not really movies, but speaking of TV, we talked a little bit about it with, uh, I almost said Sean Spicer, with Joe Cannon, and we teased it during the first hour, but we were hoping to get to some of these clips that we have from Saturday Night Live over the weekend. There was another uh, sketch from... Comedian Melissa McCarthy, comedian slash actress Melissa McCarthy, portraying Sean Spicer. And uh, let's go ahead and play clip five.
0: First of all, I'd just like to announce that I'm calm now. And I will remain calm as long as you. I'm not going to do that because that's the old spicy. And this is the new spicy. And I have been told that I'm also sort of cut back on the gum chewing, so I am now limiting myself to one slice a day.
4: She holds up a whole, like, foot-long piece of gum.
2: <laughs> so she, he, he, she didn't sound that flustered, right? Calm, yes. Calm.
8: Still Which, yelling, though. Still calm. yelling,
2: but calm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the funnier parts of that sketch, though, is when, uh, speaking of Valentine's Day... When Sean Spicer holds up his her wrist to show some swag yeah, that you can no longer find at Nordstrom, that's clip eight.
0: And then there was some light terrorism this week when Nordstroms light terrorism decided to stop selling Ivanka Trump's line of clothing and accessories. Okay, and that's Nordstrom's loss because these are high high quality products. In fact, I'm wearing one of her bangles right now. It's beautiful. It's shimmery. It's elegant. And at thirty nine ninety dollars it is an unbelievably affordable.
2: Wow. You know, I, I talked about this before on the show, but I remember after Donald Trump won, they had Kate McKinnon come out as Hillary Clinton playing that song, Hallelujah, just a really sad, quiet song. She turns to the camera and says, I'm not giving up and neither should you. It was such a somber, serious uh, sketch that they, it, was, there was, it was jokeless. And you've got to be thinking that Saturday Night Live, they should be thanking their lucky stars creatively that Donald Trump Won the presidency, they would not have this type of material. i think that Hillary had won? Nonstop. I I personally don't think. I,
3: I I wonder how far along they the Republicans would be in their. Continue investigations because they were so energetic on. We're going to have investigations. Benghazi's going to go on. Emails going to continue. This isn't going to stop the entire way. I wonder how far along that would have been, and would that have allowed? Would that would that have led to any sort of comedic material somehow? Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, you're right. I think the Trump side of it has led to more material for Saturday Night Live.
2: Yeah, I think they would have been running more on fumes with Hillary. But, yeah, it probably – the all the poking fun would have come at the or Republicans' they, expense, I would think. maybe they
3: would have taken the uh, tact of the creators of South Park where they said they're just going to kind of move on from Trump because the stuff they were making fun of him has actually happened. <laughs> so they're like, oh, this isn't funny anymore. So they're going to move to a different topic. Well, I
2: guess they just need to keep finding funny female women to portray these men in Trump's cabinet. That just seems to be what they're doing. See if you can get a – a reaction from the White House, and they, they had got that. they had Kate McKinnon portraying Jeff Sessions. They did Beauregard Sessions.
4: Yes,
3: Beauregard Sessions. Do
4: you see the one where um, it's like the Jake Tapper one with uh, yeah, that was on SNL? They too. did
3: like a Fatal Attraction with like uh, Jake Tapper and Kellyanne Conway. We oh, can't have you on the show. Yeah, she, <laughs> she shows so up funny. at his apartment after the interview. Like comes out with a knife. Like you have to have. I want to be it's on the like, news. I can't. You have. I can't have you on my show anymore. You're 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 What your uh, your your questionable. Your yeah, legitimacy yeah. is questionable, or something. It's just it was it was kind of funny. I don't know some of the stuff. So Trump's administer his
2: cabinet doesn't want to talk to CNN. Nope. Kellyanne Conway's willing to do it, but CNN doesn't want to talk to her.
3: Well, except then they had her on.
2: Yeah, and mm. then
3: this last weekend, CNN uh, said they wanted to talk to somebody about the policies coming out of the White House, and the White House said no. And Kellyanne's raising her hand. Oh, pick me, pick but me! But they didn't do that. And then mm, uh, Te- anyone else? What was it? Te- Telemundo said they put in a similar request, and there was no response at all. Ah. Oh. So that's going on. Sean Spicer, White House press secretary. I mean, that's why Saturday Night Live's making fun because there's been some struggles as it's moved forward on the airways. However, he's a daytime television uh, news uh, kind of big hit. Mr. Spicer's briefings carried live by the major cable networks are pulling an average of 4.3 million viewers, according to data from uh, Nielsen. Audiences across Fox News, MSNBC, and CNN grow by an average 10% when Mr. Spicer comes on screen to discuss the latest news from President Trump. The soap opera at the White House is outscoring actual soap operas like General Hospital and The Bold and the Beautiful, which typically air around the same time. Spicer's ratings are on par with primetime entertainment shows like Master Chef Jr. and wow. sitcoms on ABC, which draw around 4 million viewers each episode. The big ratings offer the quantifiable measure for what has become truism in Washington. Three weeks into the Trump administration, Mr. Spicer's daily joust with reporters peppered with fiery exchanges, memorable malaprops, and some uh, much-discussed dissembling. Uh, ...are now must-see TV. Everyone's like, oh, wait, I got to watch this. See, <laughs> now, see what happens.
2: imagine Sean Spicer and Telemundo coming together. Sean Spicer on a Hispanic soap opera... There you go. ...would draw huge, huge ratings. A telenovela, is that what they called? See, yeah. Trump's not going to get... Uh, yeah, telenovela. He's not going to get rid of Sean Spicer if he's drawing these types well, of ratings.
3: but there's a guy that's claiming he got... He was contacted by the Trump administration... Uh-oh. To fill the press secretary job. He put it out on Twitter over the weekend. Let's see, Carl Higby. Higaby, something like that. He's a, he's a family acquaintance of mm-hmm. the Trumps, and he has some experience in this. And he's saying at first he says I was contacted. It wasn't specific as to what my services were. Now he's more like Yeah, it was for the press secretary job. I haven't heard back though, so I don't know. And then Sean Spicer got into something on Twitter over the weekend, and then it was confirmed that yes, they talked to the guy. So Spicer's like, Ugh, Well, no wonder he's so flustered. I, I he's found a job for for his on job. Monster.
4: Something. Yeah. Someone connected with me on a LinkedIn. Yeah, so,
3: But this guy that contacted, former Navy SEAL, close with the Trump family, particularly Eric Trump, and uh, he met in the green room after appearing on the Kelly file last year. So it's all this stuff.
2: But Well, if he loses that job as press secretary, he'd go to Telemundo, CNN. Sounds like there'd be plenty oh, yeah. of people that would be happy to CNN have him. CNN would <laughs>
3: gladly take him, put him on one of those
2: 90-person <laughs> panels. It'd be great. 90-person panels. Wow. Well, fun stuff. There's certainly no shortage of, of entertaining programming out there that's uh, pulling in all sorts of ratings. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to be talking about some programming that is a lot more uplifting and uh, probably has a little more substance, too. We're going to be speaking to a gentleman who has a new Netflix series coming out soon that uh, is called The Kindness Diaries. We're going to be speaking with Leon Thetis. When we come back, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. You will forgive me because I misspoke a little bit. We will be speaking with uh, with Leon Logothetis uh, in just a few minutes here, but first... We have a segment from our wonderful producer, Leanna Tan, and uh, she told us to say that she is Matt Townsend's favorite producer and that she should get a raise. We'll see if that wish comes true. (laughs) So, we've talked a lot about relationships lately. Relationships can be really scary, obviously, but they can also end up in healthy, meaningful marriages. One of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to find answers to the fundamental questions we have about marriage
10: what you've been waiting for. Valentine's Day is tomorrow, so this is the last segment in my relationship series for V-Day. Now that we've all been through a whirlwind of remembering the awkwardness of the friend zone, the confusion of attraction, and the pain of dating, I figured for this last one, I'd remind us all what relationships are really for. Bring back that hope that not all those bad dates end in loneliness. Eventually, with the right effort and values, those dates can lead to a committed partner in marriage which I guess can be a pretty happy experience. I brought in my friend Joshua Farr, who had a bad first date that actually ended in a happy marriage. His story had all of us in the office a little stunned, so I brought him in to share it with you. What's so special about your story that may be unique to other listeners?
9: We had known each other for nine days by the time we got engaged. You know, I never thought I'd be one of those people. I still am actually kind of surprised when I talk about how fast it was. I made that decision. Wow.
10: What made you feel like you knew, all right, this is what I want to do after nine <laughs> dates? Is it nine dates or nine days? Nine days. Wow.
9: I've never taken a girl on a worse first date, actually. Yeah, um, I was serious about not playing around and neither was she. So we identified that serious genome in each other and there was a lot of introspection. And everybody laughs when I say this, but uh, it was a gradual process of getting closer. We just felt fantastic, complete around each other.
10: Really? So what was something that you <laughs> learned about your wife after you got married?
9: Boy, does she get mad about white lies. <laughs> Telling them, yes, I took out the trash and she beats me home and the trash isn't taken out. Wow, yeah, that can get me in a lot of trouble. I found out that there was literally nothing I could buy for her that she would like. Oh yeah, she was a counselor. Yeah, a camp counselor for the Especially for Youth program. She did it for like three weeks of her life. I had no idea. So I realized I don't know a whole lot about her.
10: What do you feel like is the best thing about marriage?
9: Well, I I always say that marriage is underrated, and when you've chosen somebody to go through your entire life with, you have chosen to share those bad moments with them. You have them for those bad moments, and if you have a good moment, you get to share it with them.
10: So do you think life does get boring once you decide to settle down and lose that novelty of meeting somebody new every week?
9: You know, if you're looking for a thrill, the thrill of maybe not being able to make rent is uh, quite the thrill. (laughs) You know, if you're loving meeting new people still, it's probably not time for you to get married. You're going to come to a point where you're fatigued and you want somebody to treat you special and you want somebody you can be able to treat special. I think the most important part is remember that you're discovering somebody, not finding somebody to fulfill your wants or your wishes. Marriage is about sharing the bad times and that becomes special and endearing and fulfilling. In a very new way, I couldn't imagine if my wife and I went our separate ways. It just it seems like an alien world. It's interesting because I've, I've been in that world before, and I knew what I wanted then, and I can't imagine wanting those things now.
10: Like you said, once you get married, you choose one person. So how do you keep the love alive, I guess, is the ultimate question.
9: you got to keep dating. It'll get easy to put less effort in. I think it's important to keep track of what you do for your spouse. When you get married and when you spend time together, there are things you have to do to step up your game, if you will. I realized the other day that it had been a good six months since I bought her any flowers. Some of the things that gratify your spouse are, are just inherently boring. Doing the dishes, I feel like I'm doing something for her, but it's it's not the same as doing something romantic or doing something thoughtful or going out on a date or doing something spontaneous or surprising.
10: What is the biggest change that you've seen in yourself since you've been married?
9: I have planned a whole lot more. You know, being able to bring it up to a higher plan of I want to provide for a family that I'm going to have is um, probably the larger switch. I, I plan and keep track of my comings and goings and receipts and such because it makes her happy not because I love those things, but makes all the difference to me. Okay.
10: Do you have any other advice for singles out there working their way towards that marriage, towards this goal?
9: Go on your blind dates. Give everybody a chance. First date is always weird. Go on the second date with the person. Be willing to discover people.
10: What is a successful relationship?
9: Both parties being more interested in taking care of the other person than themselves. If you can be doing any given thing and think, "Hmm, where's that person? What's she doing right now?" That's that's relationship right there, and that's something worth keeping.
10: Well, you heard him true love doesn't always happen the first time. Sounds like this whole relationship thing is a series of lots of processes. And with Josh as an example, relationships aren't all dead-end bad dates. So if you're committed to someone, take that extra effort and make tomorrow special for them. And if you're single, take tomorrow to celebrate all those friend zones and bad dates that you've endured. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's My Little Tangent.
2: Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. We have the wonderful opportunity today of speaking with A very special guest named Leon Logothetis. And as you know, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. When we think about Valentine's Day, we often think of romantic love, which is, of course, very important, but also only applies to one person or one couple. How do we show love and kindness to everyone else, including complete strangers? Well, here to talk to us about his personal experiences with kindness is Leon Logothetis, who is a TV host, producer, author, traveler, and all-around good guy. Leon, we're so grateful to have you. Thank you for being on The Matt Townsend Show.
6: Thanks so much for having me.
2: You know, I was really excited to, to see that you were going to be on the program because... You know, earlier in the show we were talking about all this programming that's getting huge ratings but is it doesn't really seem like it's uplifting in any way and I'm talking of course about politics and I I, I watched the trailer for your upcoming series on Netflix and I just got to say this seems like it's a breath of fresh air so thank you again for coming on the show. So um I'm I'm really happy to meet you and and get to know you a little bit better. Um so you you've written several books and you're a TV host. When when does your Netflix series come out by the way?
6: Yeah, the Netflix series is called The Kindness Diaries and it's actually out now.
2: Oh, it is. Oh my goodness. And yeah. we we can uh we can stream all the episodes, correct?
6: Yeah, all 13 episodes.
2: So what can you tell us more about this program and kind of the how it all came to be? And, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about it.
6: Yeah, sure. Um, I used to be a broker in the city of London, um, and I found myself on the outside. I had pretty much everything I wanted. On the inside, I, I had nothing. I was uh, emotionally bankrupt and spiritually bankrupt. And I um, watched uh, the movie The Motorcycle Diaries, which is about, uh, about Che Guevara traveling across South America, relying on the kindness of strangers. There was something about that documentary uh, or film that uh, really touched my heart. Um, And I decided to quit, I quit my job and I started to travel the world. Um, And one of the journeys I did was The Kindness Diaries where I took a vintage yellow motorbike with a sidecar uh, called Kindness One, sort of like Air Force One, but a little bit yellower. (laughs) And we relied entirely on the kindness of strangers. I had no money. I went from L.A. all the way around the world back to L.A., um, but it, there was a bit of a twist, and the twist was that unsuspecting Good Samaritans received a life-changing gift.
5: Wow.
2: Now, I can imagine it would have taken so much courage to take that jump from security, full-time job, to to basically going to nothing. So what, it, what did it take for you to make that jump, to, to show that courage?
6: Uh, pain, uh, simply put, mm. you know, I was in a in a dark place emotionally, and I felt like I was up against the proverbial wall, um, and uh, I I, it, I couldn't do it anymore, um, and I I, I didn't want to live that way. I wanted to go out and kind of you know connect with the world, um, so pain really pushed me into uh, into into jumping off that cliff.
2: Ah, oh, my hat is off to you for that. I I understand that that is not an easy thing to do. Um so tell us a little bit more about the specifics of the show because you you go across you go all over the place on just a few dollars a day is that correct?
6: Yeah, basically I started in Los Angeles. I had no money, so I had to rely on people for uh everything, really, uh, including gas. Um and I crossed America, then I took a ship to Europe, then I drove to Vietnam, then I took a ship to Canada and all the way back. Um, And although I couldn't help every single person that uh, uh, helped me, uh, I would find someone who was um, truly needy and had helped me out of the goodness of their heart because they had no idea what was coming. And uh, I would try my best to change their lives in a positive way.
2: Oh, This just sounds so amazing. It kind of reminds me of that film, too, a fictional film, if I recall correctly. Um, Did you ever see Pay It Forward?
6: You know, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've always wanted to watch it.
2: <laughs> it's you know, a similar know kind of idea book where, book. yeah, it's one good deed and that person passes that good deed on to another person. Um, but this sounds this sounds a little more daring and exciting. So, um, what did it take? Were you initially afraid of of this adventure? How did you get out of that? Were you? Are you the type of person that this is something that's outside of your comfort zone, or was it not that much of a stretch for you?
6: Look, to start with, when I quit my job as a broker, uh, it was definitely outside of my comfort zone. Although, look, I always loved adventure, uh, I loved travel. I'd never done it on that level where it was, you know, relying on kindness, where it was about connecting to people, because I'm actually introverted. I mean, you can look at some of my videos and think to yourself, oh, wow, this guy's so extroverted. But for many, many years, I was a shy kid, um, and I'm still pretty introverted. So in some way, ways, it's a, it's out of my comfort zone. And in some ways, it's not.
2: Yeah. So, you know, in in your books and, and on this Netflix series, there's an element of storytelling. How how have you become more of a storyteller as you 've come along have you Have you taken courses? Or are you just naturally talented at being a storyteller Because there is an art to that sure.
6: I, yeah there is um, and, and and I used to love reading, and I still do and as a kid, I would read all these books like um Robinson Crusoe and um all these you know epic adventures, pirate books, and they would really inspire me. Um, and maybe I learned it from there. Uh, but of, of course, with this show, it's not just one person. So although I was the person traveling, um, The Kindness Diaries, uh, there are many people behind it that, uh, you know, put their skills into making it what it is.
2: Yeah. Tell us more about that. What type of a team did you travel with when you were making this series?
6: Sure. So we had uh, at any one time four or five people with me. Um, they would always stay in hotels, and uh, I would stay uh, with the people that I met. Um, so that was that part of the journey. Wow. And then, obviously, when you finish, yeah, when you finish and you come back, and you have to start editing the show and all that kind of stuff, there's more people involved.
2: Yeah. So I'm curious to know because obviously you may have you may have had one idea in mind starting out on this journey and have been completely surprised at some of the results that you witnessed. What what was in line with your expectations, and then what are some things that maybe surprised you
6: a little bit along the way? Uh, look, I, I thought that uh, I would have a great adventure, which I did. Um, I, I wasn't entirely sure how kind people would be, because... Like everyone else or, or many of us, I was watching the news, I was, you know, looking at all the negative things in the world and I, I thought maybe this will fail. So that was one of the greatest, uh, most beautiful things was that uh, there was uh, like a, a groundswell of generosity and kindness that I found that even when I'm not doing the show, I, I can see in people. And uh, that was like an, uh, it opened my heart in so many beautiful ways.
0: mm.
2: Any, you know, I hate to focus on the negative. Were there any experiences that uh, made you afraid for your life or that you were just uh, – that made you hesitate? Any – or any negative experiences that you had when you tried to rely on the kindness of others?
6: You look at it there are always negative things that happen. Like, uh, you know, if, if I were to ask 10 people to help me, nine of them would say no, which in many ways I understand because they don't know me and they're busy and whatever, they're having a bad day or, or whatever the reason may be. Um, but there were some, some moments, for example, I was in India in a town called Patna and a couple of days after I uh, left India, that town, a bomb went off. So, you know, there were things that, 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 that can happen. Uh, I don't want people to think I'm, I'm Pollyannish and in, in that I see the world only through eyes that there is no badness that goes on. Right, because there is badness that goes on, you know. But more often than not, as long as you stay in the right uh, frame of mind, as long as you use your intuition, you can steer clear of that.
2: You know, this is it. It reminds me of the the story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan. Obviously, you know where you they have this. You have this traveler that gets mugged, and you know there are these various groups of people that come in to try that he hopefully will help him. And two of the three in the story pass him by, and it's the Samaritan, the one who you would think would have not a good relationship with this traveler would. Uh, you wouldn't think he'd be the one to stop and help him. So that's interesting. I, I'm sure you saw some of that where there were surprises that uh, the people that you had contact with wow i'm surprised that this is the person that came and helped me
6: oh that happens a lot um you know i was helped by homeless people i was ha- helped by you know in india by really poor people i couldn't accept money there there was no exchange of money at all it was just an exchange of uh, compassion um but yeah i was helped by many people that you would think maybe wouldn't help but they had the biggest hearts it seemed
2: do you feel I, obviously I don't I don't know what your views were before you started out on this journey do you feel like any of your preconceived notions about people or you know people from different countries or of different differing races do you feel like any of your preconceived notions you may have had of people changed as you went through this experience
6: without a shadow of a doubt I'll tell you a story. Um, I never actually managed to to go to Iran, so it's one of the countries I haven't been to. But, you know, I watch the news, and I I see all these negative things that uh, are are being spouted about Iran. But on on my journey, I met this chap who was uh, cycling around the world. Um, It was going to take him four years. And uh, he told me how he'd been to Iran. And I was very fascinated. I was like, really? You went to Iran? You didn't get arrested? Uh, What were the people like? And he's like, Leon, the people were just Extraordinary, and and they and they you know all they had to say were good things about America, and it was it was a bit of a shock. And even though I'd traveled the world to hear that, was an example of my um, preconceived ideas being shattered in a positive way.
2: So, Leon, I'm I'm curious. You know, as you said, you were a broker. You you left that life behind so that you could embark on this wonderful adventure. Do you? Do you feel like there are more adventures out there like this for you or do you see yourself going back to either that broker world or another uh vocation like that or are you are you converted to this new life basically?
6: I am converted 100%. Wow. I will not be returning to my desk.
2: My goodness. <laughs> I have just have so much respect for you. Uh wow. On a much smaller scale, that's actually how we ended up here in, in Utah. We were at a point in our lives where we decided, am I going to sell organic chickens the rest of my life, which is really what I was doing, or am I going to follow my dreams and follow my passions? And yeah, so you are an inspiration to us all. I am having such a wonderful time speaking with you. Let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your book, The Way of the Travel, or I'm sorry, the, your book, Live, Love, Explore. So let's take a quick break. We're speaking with with uh, Leon Logothetis. Uh, Logothetis who is the star and creator of the new show on Netflix, The Kindness Diaries. And when we come back, we'll continue the discussion and talk a little bit more about his book. Fascinating subject. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is away in... Las Vegas with his significant other, his spouse. But his loss is my gain because I get to speak with Leon Logothetis, who is the star and creator of the new Netflix show, The Kindness Diaries. And uh, Leon has visited more than 90 countries and traveled to every continent. He is the host of the TV series Amazing Adventures of a Nobody, which is broadcast across the world by National Geographic International, and over the course of three seasons sees Leon cross America, the United Kingdom, and Europe on just $5, 5 pounds, and 5 euros a day, respectively. He's also the author of a book about his travels across America entitled Amazing Adventures of a Nobody, He is also the author of Live, Love, and Explore, The Kindness Diaries, and The Mojo Diaries, and his Netflix series is available now. You can stream all 13 episodes, as he said. Leon, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show.
6: Thanks for having
2: me back. Absolutely. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about your book, The Way of the Traveler. You talk about this idea of the way of the traveler. Tell us a little bit more about that and how we can achieve that, because obviously when you were making this big jump from broker to traveler, there were steps that you had to, I'm sure, to to go through to get ready. Tell us what we can do.
6: Sure. Uh, so really, the way of the traveler is about living with all your, uh, with fully, it's about loving with all your heart, and it's about exploring the world. But most importantly, it's about exploring your heart. You don't have to travel to, uh, to, to, to live this way. It's really a, a state of being, as I like to call it. Um, and to get there, it's about, it's about having a commitment. You know how some of us, have, we have commitments to our job, we have commitments to our, to our loved ones. Right. Yet many of us don't have, a, don't have a commitment to living authentically, to living with a sense of wonder to living a beautiful, uh, joyous life. Um, And that's what the book's about. It's about inspiring you to go out and do those things. To go out and say, you know what, I've had enough. Mm. I don't know.
1: So,
2: when when you personally were were making the switch, what, what kind of things did you have to line up so that you could adopt this new form of living?
6: Sure. Um, some of the things are, for example, you know, I, I was in a comfort zone, and uh, I had to find my way out of that comfort zone in order to to reach my to reach my goals. And one of the ways of reaching out of your comfort zone is to take risks. You don't have to take big risks, although sometimes those are the best ones to take. You can take little, small baby steps. Um, it, it's about you know coming from your heart. It's about um, sharing your your dreams with people. Many of us have these wonderful dreams but we don't share them with anyone because we're like oh you know it's silly i don't think it's a good idea but uh, if you share them they come to life
1: wow so
2: is in your opinion is this something that that anybody could do can anybody take these steps and adopt this way of living even if they choose not to completely abandon their jobs or you know move to a different country
6: absolutely this is it just so happens that that's the way i did it but you don't have to do that at all um there are there are there, like i said there are there are small ways that we can uh, change the way we live um another way is kind of just connecting with the world you know we're so disconnected we we're, we we're lost behind our phones um and connecting with people and giving being gentle to yourself We talk about, I mean, I know it's a random act of kindness this week, but it's not just about being kind to others. It's about being kind to yourself. It's about being gentle to yourself.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you've noticed this, but as you, the more you give of yourself, the more fully you are living, it seems. Uh, I, over the weekend, I went to a workshop that was led by Matt Townsend, who is the host of the show, obviously. And he's a relationship coach, and he talks about being in your essence and basically being your best self. And he invited everybody there to write down times in their lives when they saw that in themselves. And I wrote down three things, and I noticed that there was a correlation between the three, and that is that those are times in my life when I was giving service to other people, every single one of the ones that I wrote down. I You know, I lived in a, a foreign country as a missionary, and I'm a father, and I just think that's so interesting that when we're honest with ourselves, it seems that the times that we can be happiest and live life to the fullest is when we are providing service for other people. And it seems like you've experienced that as well.
6: I I definitely have. Um, And again, that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book, because I had all these experiences. I was fortunate enough to be able to travel the world and to meet wonderful people and have some bad experiences, these lessons. And I felt like it was wrong of me to have all this wisdom that had been given to me and not to share it. So that's really what the book's about. It's uh, another way to kind of inspire people to live an empowered life.
2: Mm. Wow. Um, So you brought it up yourself. You said this week is Random Acts of Kindness Week. What are some some tips you can give us just on a day-to-day experience level that we can do to to do something for other people that's not you know i think i think a lot of us feel like oh well i have to go out and do this big thing what are what are some smaller things that we can do from day to day to perform an act of kindness for other people
6: you make a very good point you know sometimes people think oh you know you know you you don't have to it's 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 small little acts like, for example, when you're at a Starbucks, start a conversation with a barista and, and show compassion and show some empathy and show some interest. Show that, you, that you, you care about that person. When you're in the car and someone, you know, is, is, is uh, cut you off, instead of responding in a way which many of us do, um, respond in a calm way. You know, it's okay. Maybe they're having a bad day. Um, so little small things like that really can not just affect Others, but it affects the way you live, and you know you've got to do it, that's why random act of kindness day should really be kindness day every day it's It's not like a special thing to give a random act of kindness
2: right yeah, it's really the way we should be living all the time um what could you say as we as we wrap up here, uh, what is something you can say to those people that have personalities where they might be a little apprehensive to help out a stranger, somebody that they don't know and may not feel safe around?
6: Um, one of the things I love doing is uh, going to let's say a, a Starbucks or a subway, and this is going to answer your question um, and telling the the teller uh, the next person that comes in um, please pay for their for their food and I give them like a a, ten dollars to do that Um, and I I will never meet that person whose food has been paid for but I know that that person is going to have a smile on his face so that's a beautiful way of doing it as well whereby you don't have to feel threatened in any way shape or form and you can still do a kind act and then slowly slowly as you keep doing that you will um, be able to you know overcome any fear that you may have.
2: I love that example too because it's it's just a reminder that we should really be doing these things with the right mindset. You know, we're not doing these things so that we can get the thank you and feel better about ourselves. We do it because we want that person to feel better. So what a great example. Uh, Leon, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but this will be a great way to end the interview. Um, and we really thank you for being on the program, and, and wish you all the the best luck in the world as you continue to make uh, TV series, and as you continue to live this way of of living where you're helping strangers and and just relying on the kindness of others. But uh, we actually on BYU TV are airing the Kindness Diaries tuesdays 9 p.m eastern so leon i don't know if you have byu tv but uh you can check yourself out on on byu tv as well and we certainly encourage all of our listeners to do the same as well as to uh to go check out leon's new netflix series the kindness diaries you can check out all 13 episodes and leon thank you again so much for being on the program what an enlightening and uplifting experience that was to speak with you We'll take a break. When we come back, we will continue the discussion of kindness and and love. The next hour we're going to be talking to our perennial favorite Kim Kim Giles, who's going to be talking to us a little bit more about marriage and relationships. So, let's do let's do that first. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll continue that discussion. This is the Matt Townsend show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the
0: side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson, not Dr. Matt Townsend, who is away to uh, beautiful Las Vegas with his companion and spouse, Mrs. Matt Townsend. She has a name. It's actually Marty. I've never met her, but I know that she is a lovely, lovely woman. And he is giving some lectures there and uh, not gambling or smoking or drinking, so I have no idea what they're going to do once he's not lecturing. Anyway. Just
4: the M&M Museums there. That's right. You just Ooh. get all the M&Ms. And the Coca-Cola. I guess you can't get Coca-Cola.
2: Favorite m M&M? m Peanut MMs for sure. Peanut? Really? I have a method to eating those. I like to remove the peanut from the chocolate and eat them separately.
5: Not, oh. not
2: with my hands, but with my mouth. Oh. Anyway, I'm sure you wanted that image in your minds. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so maybe they're going to the M&M exhibit slash museum. Anyway, uh, that was Colin Tanner on the board who's covering for me so I can cover for Matt. And we also have Terry South here. I'm covering for me. You're doing a good job, too. Yes. You do a phenomenal job. Excellent. Every time. for me. Favorite M&M in the South household? Favorite M&M? Yes.
4: Don't they all taste the same? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You're sorely mistaken.
2: <laughs> Come on. Uh, peanut or peanut butter? Oh. Coconut? Oh, right. Probably peanut.
4: Yeah, it's all wow. about the peanut M&M's.
2: Peanut yeah. M&M's. My girlfriend likes the
4: crispy M&M's, which are weird. Favorite.
2: My favorite. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway... Let's make sure he brings some of those back for us. We've got some fun coming up here on the show. We're going to be giving you the secret to a happy marriage. Well, we're not going to be doing it. It's actually going to be our guest, Kim Giles, our perennial favorite guest here on the show. So uh, make sure to stay tuned for that. That's going to be coming up here in about 10, 15 minutes. Don't tune out because we have uh, the secret to life until then. We do. I can't promise that. But that would be great, wouldn't it?
4: Who is it? Was it Stephen Miller? can promise it probably.
2: From the Steve Miller band? (laughs) No. I'm getting my Steve Millers mixed up. Anyway, we'll talk about that as well as uh, clean out your computer day. We strongly urge you to go home, reassess your desktop usage or overusage, and uh, it's time to make some changes. You can make those changes. You can become better. You can be a can, you can be a better desktop user, and less of an abuser. That was profound. That was deep. And it's also Madly in Love with Me Day, and uh, I'm I don't i do not know if I'm feeling the love I just think yet.
4: You've been getting it wrong every time.
2: It says right here, Madly in Love with Me Day. But, and I'm the one reading it.
4: I guess that's true. I guess I can't argue with that.
2: No, you can't. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that fun stuff here on the show. But first, let's talk to Terry South and see what else is going on around the rest of the
3: country. Terry? Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has vowed to talk about Canadian values and jobs when he meets with President Donald Trump at the White House later today. The liberal leader will try to fo- foster economic links and avoid tensions over issues such as immigration. U.S. officials tell ABC News that women in the workforce will also be discussed in the presence of Mr. Trump's daughter, Ivanka. Apparently she'll be involved in this. Mr. Trudeau said uh, he expects they would find a lot of common ground. His first responsibility was to highlight Canadian values and principles and the things that keep our country strong, he said. Very politician-y of him.
2: they going to talk about the wall?
3: Uh, I don't know if they're going to talk about a wall. maple wall. You've talked about a maple <laughs> wall. I don't think that's a thing, but oh. uh, we'll see. White House Senior Policy Advisor Stephen Miller said Sunday that the administration is considering a range of actions to push through the Donald Trump's 90-day ban on nationals from seven majority Muslim countries. We are considering and pursuing all options. These options include seeking an emergency stay at the Supreme Court, continuing the appeal with the panel. They could keep it at the same level of justices in the right. Ninth Circuit, having an emergency hearing. Or going to trial court as, at the district level, also being considered as the possibility of a new executive action designed to prevent terrorist infiltration of our country. Uh, they leave out the part where it would have to also appear legal, since that appears to be the issue with the judges is that it's possibly not legal. So they need to find a way to achieve legality here.
2: wonder what that would look like, or if, it, if it's still just as vague as extreme vetting. Could be. Hmm.
3: I do like the word, though. Yeah. It's extreme. And he takes credit for it, by the way. Extreme. President Trump's job job approval rating has hit a new low Saturday. According to a new Gallup poll, only 40% of Americans approve of the job that the president is doing, while 55% disapprove of what he's doing. Mm. And that has continued to drop. He was at 45%, so he's at 40% now. Wow. Not sure what that means, but there's his approval ratings. Well, he's he's still in the honeymoon phase, though.
2: But I wonder if this is a good honeymoon. Who knows? I have a brother who went on a cruise with
3: his wife, and his wife was miserable the whole time because she got sick. They're saying there, there was no honeymoon for Trump. He came right in, and people just jumped all over him. <sighs> Usually it's like, okay, let him see what he's going to do cabinet Not appointments fair. and stuff. And, you know, it was, hit, hit the ground running. Uh, New England is getting pummeled for yet another blizzard. Yet the they're getting ready for another blizzard. The latest salvo would has already been an unrelenting weather in the w- winter in the Northeast. National Weather Service issued a winter storm warning Sunday for a large swath of the region, including portions of New York, Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Maine, uh, an area that's home to more than 15 million people. The wow. agency warned that Portland, Maine, could see as much as 26 inches of snow.
5: Ooh, Lots
3: and I of think. Snow there. We've got some in our
2: forecast, too.
3: Eh, yeah, yeah, not that not, not much. Not 26 <clears> inches. Throat> not throat> enough even to mention. We have snow plows. for fun. Mm. And finally, the Grammys were last night. If you missed it, uh, so did yes. apparently a lot of other people, <laughs> uh, they, they give out swag bags when you go in. So if you're a guest at the Grammys, there's a swag bag it's just full of gifts and all sorts of things. They're incredibly expensive. And um, this year, it was last year, it was $22,000. Mm-hmm. for the swag bag this year it's thirty thousand dollars for the swag bag now that's the value of the bag this isn't something they just hand out to everyone you have to actually purchase the bag so the bag itself or do you get what's in it All the, too well, i mean obviously you get the whole gift <laughs> um there's a 10-year supply of oxygenics breathable foundation and oxygenated moisturizer so this is moisturizer that will help you breathe uh worth up to thirteen thousand dollars a week long trip to wow. the Golden Door Spa, so a spa trip for eight thousand dollars. One year supply of Healing Saint Luminosity Skin Serum and Hair Follicle Stimulant rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it's <laughs> worth two thousand um, dollars. Some hair volumizer, volumizing hair extensions. Right.
8: So those okay. are worth
3: eight hundred and fifty. And there's a a smart home kit, so you could like switch your home to a, a, a internet based. Uh, probably security risk for you. Wow. Uh, $599. So 600 bucks. The cheapest thing in there was a the thing of chapstick for 5 bucks. See, I Wait. can't think yeah, of anything. Chapstick for $5? Yeah, it's like $1, yeah, $5. That's like a dollar.
2: Valentine's Day is coming up. I can't think of anything I'd rather spend $22,000 on.
3: So there's a bunch of ridiculous things. There's more things in there, apparently, that are just whatever crazy the things. But the, 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 for me, it always comes down to you're in California, mm-hmm. taxes are high. Mm hmm. $30,000. Mm-hmm. You walk in there. I want all this stuff. Thirty grand for that. You get to pay the price of it. On top of that, between federal and California tax, it's another $14,000. Oh.
0: Wow.
4: Yeah. Hmm. I need to start selling gift bags. I'll pay off my college tuition. Like, there you go. Like that. Yes. Gift bags.
2: We'll just go get some chapstick and then mark it up to ten bucks.
4: Yeah, I think what what would, the, what would be the the common man's equivalent uh, a ba- like a grocery bag with uh, a tub of Vaseline. There you the, go. There's yep. your yep. oxygenated moisturizer. Mm-hmm. Then you got a, a like a tub of, of like a tube of chapstick. That's what. 50, I would 50 I cents? would need
2: to see some muddy buddies in that swag bag right. for me to yeah are there show any interest for thirty thousand dollars. There's got to be some snacks.
3: Yeah, yeah, they have exotic. You know, combination of snack no, products. I just want yeah. the some people. M&Ms.
2: Some people eat their chapstick. So, for anyway, I eat chapstick. <laughs> so it's a good idea. If you went to the Grammys, that was a good gift idea for Valentine's Day. And speaking of Valentine's Day, we mentioned that there was that zoo that you could uh, go in and, and uh, name a cockroach. Yes. Was that right? Mm-hmm. So. Here's a a story about a woman who probably wants Mm. to have nothing to do with a cockroach after this happened. Last week, a 42-year-old Indian woman went to the hospital complaining of an extremely painful, tingling, crawling sensation. After being transferred three times, doctors determined that there was a foreign body that seemed to be mobile in her head. It was a full-grown cockroach. said Dr. M.N. Shankar. The bug was located near the woman's skull base between the two eyes close to the brain. Whenever it moved, it gave me a burning sensation in my eyes, according to the woman. It took 45 minutes and a combination of suction and forceps to finally remove the cockroach from her skull. So the same type of equipment that's used to deliver babies had to be used to get this cockroach out of her head. How, how does one even
3: – I don't even know how it got in there. How does it – Up her nose. You, oh, really? Mm. There's a video. No. If you'd like to oh. watch the doctors remove this cockroach, they nose. use forceps and sun- suction, and they show this video because, you know, we have that technology. Oh my And goodness. you see this thing crawling around. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. What would we name that cockroach? Uh, I don't know a pain in my eye. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Oh. Well, Sinus the cockroach, I don't know. <laughs> Terry, are you getting anything
2: special for your wife for Valentine's Day that you can report on the air? No. It's a surprise. No, it's a nothing. Well, you're not getting her anything. No. Well, I think that will be a surprise. No,
3: she's it been 14 <laughs> years. We've got nothing for each other for 14 straight years. Yeah, but I
2: th- I think I think in women's minds this is the year that I'm ac- I'm finally getting something. No.
3: Oh. We, we have an anniversary. It's like a week and a half ago. So you have an understanding. We're good. You're the, bundling the this, gifts. This day is for the kid. So the just, kid gets his mom's stuff. For just
2: Valentine's like my day. brother, whose birthday is on December 19th, his gifts get kind of just bundled into one Christmas birthday extravaganza.
3: Right. Christmas birthday ganza.
2: So you're saying the anniversary was extra special?
3: Not necessarily. It's um, just that's the day for us. Valentine's Day okay. is um, a corporate thing to sell greeting cards. But, you know, whatever you want to do to elevate your loved one.
2: So you're saying you should love your wife
3: every day of the year. Oh, sure. But I just, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's just another day. I mean, hmm. like my mom would, would get me things for Valentine's Day, and I'm like, Don't you have a husband? What's going on here? Isn't this supposed to be for (laughs) you guys? She loves you
4: too. It
3: just seemed like I've never bought my mom some. I mean, like you're a little kid, you'd make stuff at school, that kind of thing, for your mom or something for Valentine's Day. After a while, it's like, no, that's for you and my dad, not for me. I mean, I I get it, but it just seemed kind of like it wasn't something I needed to participate in.
2: Well, my mother-in-law just sent us a package, even though we're going to see her this weekend. Hmm. And I'm not complaining because she gave me some— Movie gift cards. That's no complaints saying. here. Yeah. grandma's paying for the movie. Bring on the Valentine's gifts. Anyway, uh, here's another interesting story. This was no boating accident, by the way, if you know what movie that's from. A South Carolina fishing crew received more than they bargained for when a great white shark took a bite out of their boat. Chip uh, Mikulov and his crew were fishing last week when they found the 14-foot shark we were looking for one, and there she swam right up to the boat, he said. They were able to easily catch the great white, tag it, and release it back into the water. It was the fifth great white shark tagged and released by the crew this winter. Aside from the sharps' nip at the boat, Mikolov said the day went swimmingly. Love it. Except
3: for that the was, monster trying to eat you.
2: Yeah. Then they just tagged it and put it back in the ocean to take a bite out of somebody else's boat. Exactly, Terry. Anything else uh, we want to talk about before we take a break and
3: and talk with Kim Giles? Um, There's three companies that are currently trying to trademark the term "fake news." Okay. One is uh, a, a company called Film Roman. They're a team of animators that sketched The Simpsons for over 20 right. years. yes. Through early 2016. Apparently, they don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But his team is working on an adult cartoon comedy, probably for like comedy networkers or sorry, yeah. cartoon network, called uh, Fake News.
7: Fake News.
3: Right, so you kind of need that <laughs> trademark if you're going to launch a show based on that term. Yes, so they're trying to trademark it. No word on their progress. There's a game called Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying. They want to put together a game called Fake News.
7: Fake News.
3: I guess Cards Against Humanity are kind of like fill in the blanks. You know, it's
4: basically apples to apples for
3: adults.
1: Okay, so really? You're, okay, you're
3: doing like fill in the blank, kind of funny type, mad lib, kind Mad-lib of mad lib sort of concept, and they're trying to do a fake news version of that interesting and the other company it says cnn money was unable to reach the company which is registered out of an apartment building in astoria new york Hmm. so there's three companies i'm
2: surprised donald trump's not trying to put his hand in that
3: i don't know it might be his apartment complex you never know Ah. wrong
0: wrong you're wrong okay Hmm.
3: but uh all of them are in reaction to a way as they're saying to try to cope with the current political situation of our country
2: we all have different ways of coping. Some people go out and get a trademark. Hmm. I think Trump's going to get it.
3: He could, if that's him. We don't know. It's just an apartment <laughs> complex in Astoria, New York.
4: I mean, if anyone was going to have a, an apartment in Astoria that, you know, needs a
2: trademark, it's him. Stay at the beautiful Fake News Hotel. <laughs> anyway, that uh, is the secret to life. As we promised, just find a trademark. And uh, coming up here in a little bit, we'll be talking about the secret of a happy marriage with one of our perennial favorites, Kim Giles. So let's take a break first. When we come back, we will give you that secret. Hopefully it will help your marriage. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We are Dr. Matliss, but that's okay because his loss is my gain. I get to speak to one of our perennial favorites, Kim Giles, who is uh, the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. And uh, she was named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America in 2010. She's appeared on Good Morning Utah, the KSL 5 Morning News, ABC 4 News, and many other local TV and radio programs. And we have her here on the Matt Townsend program today. Thank you for being here, Kim. Thanks, Jeff. So Excited. I just I just mentioned to you over the weekend, and this is another shameless plug that, that Matt did not uh, prompt me to give on his show. I went to his date night over the weekend, and uh, it, was, it was enlightening, I thought. Although I felt good about myself afterwards because on the car ride home, my wife kept saying things like, I don't want to seem too full of myself, but I guess I, we don't really have a lot of those problems that he was talking about. So... Maybe Good we for you guys. Yeah, I guess maybe somehow we know the secret to a happy marriage, but I probably not. Maybe we're just lucky, but you're here today to talk to us more about the secret to a happy marriage.
11: Yeah, I wanted to talk about that this, this morning because Valentine's Day tomorrow. And um I don't know if you know a lot about my story, but I went through a divorce and then mm. I'm now remarried. And so I am keenly aware at what a painful holiday this can be. When that relationship that's supposed to be the most rich, right. wonderful part of your life is not right, it's painful. Mm. I mean, we're—I—I t- I can't think of a time in life I've been in more pain than seeing that relationship not work. Yeah. So I know there's people out there that are struggling. Marriage is tough. It can be. It can be a lot of work, and especially if things haven't gone well for a long time period, and you start to feel like it's hopeless. And, and guys, it's never hopeless. Relationships can be repaired. And, and Matt and I talk often about how many couples we both work with who wait until it's so bad, yeah. you know, to get some help and start doing some work to repair things. And I think my number one thing I'd like to get out on the air today is just, you know, if it's not, if, if it's struggling at all. If you're not just wildly happy and safe with each other and get get some outside help because relationships can be repaired and it's not as hard as you think.
2: And it's probably – it's not – you don't need need to be ashamed to get that help if you need it, right?
11: Yeah. I think a lot of people think it's kind of a sign of weakness Mm -hmm. if you have to go say we need some help. I think it's actually a sign of strength. I think you've got to be really good about yourself and your value to be able to go and admit that hey, we could learn some some new things, gain some skills and and stay open and teachable like that. Because the reality is none of us know everything. We all need to keep learning and right. growing.
2: Yeah. And what a such a bonding experience too. something, an activity that's essentially kind of like a date night that you're you're doing together to strengthen your relationship. And how many times are we doing activities that probably don't do that? You know, just let's just go watch a movie and sit in a room, dark room together and not talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah.
11: I actually think a lot of couples are distracting themselves from the problems because they don't know how to fix them. And so they stay busy with hobbies, they watch TV, you know, they're in separate rooms, they, they're they becoming roommates, and really they want to fix it, they just don't know how. Yeah. So I thought we could discuss today some things, practical things you can start to do Fantastic. to repair that relationship. You open to that?
2: Yeah. Let's hear them.
11: Okay. So one of the biggest factors in having a really good, healthy relationship is that you begin to feel safe with each other. You, you know this person is your safest place. And I think the the thing that kills that for a lot of couples is disappointment. Hmm. If If your spouse feels like you're disappointed at this point, that you married them and you're not getting you know, what you want or need from the relationship, that disappointment starts to build all kinds of resentment. And, mm-hmm. and we literally start to feel like our spouse is the enemy because they can hurt me. And, and so one of the things I really want my couples to become really aware of is making sure every day your spouse gets some validation about all the good about them and and even to say i am so lucky to be married to you yeah um i asked a client recently when was the last time you told your spouse i am so lucky to be married to you and he said oh, i don't think i've ever said that and mm. they've been married 20 years wow and you know having your spouse feel that you're not only not disappointed but that you actually feel really lucky to be with them the more positive validation that they get about their worth, the better. Yeah. Because I think the poison in most relationships at its core is that we're all scared to death we're not good enough. Mm. Right? And that fear is already so big in us all day, every day, that we're afraid we're not enough. And and the the real question is, does your spouse make you feel worse about that or better about that? Mm. Because I think we need – To be making our spouses feel appreciated, admired, respected, and wanted, those four things, every single day. And if we did that, that person would be so crazy about you because of how you make them feel.
2: Yeah. I've got a question about that, actually, because I, I try to compliment my wife frequently. And she's the type of person, when I say things like, oh, I'm so lucky to be married to you, She'll make some kind of a sarcastic remark like, yeah, you are, you know, or if I compliment her in some other way, she might roll her eyes or just not really acknowledge it. Do you think do you feel like there are people out there that they really strive to do that, but then they don't feel like they're getting a response from that. And so they stop doing that or they don't Absolutely. do it as much.
11: Yeah. And, and the reality is, let's just say your wife's got some self-esteem issues. She doesn't feel like maybe her body image or I don't know your wife.
2: She's <laughs> so, pregnant right now, okay, so she might so have she's a little, a little
11: bit. <laughs> um, but but we've all got this deep insecurity that we're not enough. So sometimes we get the praise. It goes up against that, and it's we don't believe it, right? So mm. we kind of deflect it. And there is a portion of her self-esteem that you can't fix. You mm. could praise her all day, every day. She still won't believe it. There's some work that we as individuals have to do on our own self-esteem. If we want to have a really good marriage, that's one of the first things we've got to do is work on our own self-esteem, our our feelings of self-worth. And one of the the main principles that we teach at Clarity Point in how to get out of that fear that you're not good enough is to change the way you see the value of all human beings. Hmm. So let me give you an example. Um, If I ask you, Jeff, do you believe all human beings have the same worth, like intrinsic worth, every person on the planet, what would you say?
2: I would say yes.
11: Okay. Now, if I asked you, do you believe that your value as a human being can go up and down? So if you do really well and you're more successful and you work hard, you feel better about yourself because your value went up, do you also believe you can kind of have your value go down if you lose weight, lose your job, don't perform.
2: I would say the think? perception of value would go up go or up down. Down. Yeah, the perception.
11: Right. So the reality is we can't have both. Yeah. So if you decide for you that all human beings have the same value and it can't change, can't go up, can't go down, you choose your way out of that perception. Hmm. You decide that I'm going to believe that nothing changes my value no matter what I do. I've got the same value as every other human being. And you have to start applying this to everybody that you meet. Everywhere you go, you've got to remind yourself they have the same value as you. When you trip in public and fall on your face and you feel stupid, you got to get up, brush (laughs) yourself off and say, okay, at least that didn't affect my value. i got the same value as everybody else. The more you start choosing to believe that your value can't change, that fear that I'm not good enough gets smaller and smaller. And I've been doing this for 15 years with thousands of people. But the more that you change your belief about human value, that you can't be not as good as anybody else. You literally can't because we all have the same worth. That fear will get smaller. Yeah. And automatically, you now are less needy in your relationship. You don't need your spouse to be constantly trying to fill that bucket because you know it's already full. Yeah. Right? And it changes what you what you need from your spouse and it actually makes you more capable of giving more to your spouse. Mm. Because you're not as needy. Cuz really, you can't do both. You're either needy and scared or you're strong and loving. Yeah. So I I think one of the most powerful things we each have to do if we want to have a healthy relationship is work on our own self-worth.
2: You know, let's let's take a break here. We'll come back and continue the discussion with Kim Giles. It's just before we go to break, though I'll mention that one thing that I did to improve my self-esteem in my marriage is I went to go see that movie Fences. I don't know if you've seen it I with Denzel yet. Washington and Viola Davis. And uh He's, let's just say he's not a very good man in this mm. film, in, in my eyes, anyway. And uh, I was sitting in front of this father, father, and mother, and son and daughter. And uh, the dad leans over to the son and says, see, you're not doing that bad. So I've never seen a movie that was such a downer while at the same time being so uplifting because it made me realize you're not doing so bad.
11: Oh, I want to see it now. go see it.
2: You'll feel better about how you're doing in your marriage. But uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and continue talking with Kim Giles from Clarity Point Teaching. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away in Las Vegas with his beautiful wife and uh, not gambling or drinking or smoking, but uh, I think they're doing okay in their marriage. In fact, I mentioned earlier that he just led a 1,200-person uh, lecture on Saturday night that I attended Ah, yeah, uh,
11: date night with Matt Townsend. Yes, so yeah, fun. it
2: was fun. I thought, I thought the first hour that he was up there, man, he—if this whole relationship coaching thing doesn't work out, I think he's got a a career in stand-up comedy. He was just so funny. so funny. Once again, this is not a shameless promotion for Dr. (laughs) Matt. He did not pay me anything to say these words that are coming out of my mouth right now. We're speaking with Kim Giles, who is one of our favorite guests here on the show uh, from Clarity Point Life Coaching. And uh, she's talking a little bit about... The secret to a happy marriage. And before the break, you talked about uh, value and the value that we see in ourselves and the value that we see in others that we come in contact with. What are some other pointers that you can give us about having a happy marriage as we think about Valentine's Day and celebrate that?
11: Okay, so my next one Similar to what we just talked about, that you need to work on your own self-esteem, you really just need to keep your focus on becoming a better you more than you're focused on wanting to fix your spouse. Hmm. And Matt and I both find when we meet with couples, there's a lot of finger pointing. We're all pretty sure that the problem is them. And if someone would just fix them, this marriage would be fine. (laughs) And the reality is that the only person you have any control over is you. Right. And your job in that relationship is to be the best you that you can be. And we we often hear people say, "Well, I want my spouse to admire me, you know, and and just think I'm amazing." Well, do you deserve that?
7: Mm. What are
11: what are you doing? Are you learning and growing? Are you responsible? Do you take care of yourself and and your things? But where where are you because if you're irresponsible and you're really not taking care of yourself like if we were talking about on the break losing weight and and the right reason to do that mm-hmm. is because you love yourself and your body and you want to be healthy and strong for your family but we we've got to decide that our our goal is to fix ourselves all day every day it's not about fixing them it's about fixing us and hopefully when your spouse sees you doing that, really digging deep and changing and growing, they're going to think, boy, I better get on yeah. the bandwagon here so that they don't grow past me.
2: Wow. Right?
11: And and learn things I don't know.
2: That's great.
11: So we want to inspire them. We don't want to blame and point fingers at them.
2: Yeah. Okay. So uh, seeing the value in ourselves and changing ourselves and not trying to change the other person, what else?
11: Okay, so we've got to be more focused on giving than what we're getting. Because I hear from all the couples we work with, well, she's not giving me this. Well, she's not, you know, showing up for me intimately enough. She's, I, I need more than I'm getting in the relationship. Well, we've, we've got to stop worrying about what we're getting and focus on what we're giving and being a giver and i would i would say to everybody out there your spouse wants more than anything to feel wanted and so are you giving that are you making sure that at the end of every week your spouse knows they were wanted by you that you want to be with them that you you know you think about them you're you're wanting to spend time with them and you're initiating that yourself. Yeah. What happens is your spouse absolutely adores you because we love people that love us.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely.
11: I mean, that's what makes you really, really attracted to somebody is that they're crazy about you. Mm-hmm. So we've got to make sure that we're constantly giving that. And we also want to make sure in in the giving that we're we're showing up and making it all about our spouse. And what I mean is staying away from pornography, mm-hmm. even romance novels and that kind of stuff, ladies. Because I have to tell you, all of that leads us towards being attracted to things and people that aren't our significant other.
2: Don't go see that so movie that came out this last weekend that shall remain unnamed. <laughs> right. We,
11: we won't even go there. <laughs> and then I think one of the biggest tips I have is we need to work on forgiveness. Because the reality is that we're all going to make mistakes. And if you're somebody that holds on to all those past mistakes from your spouse, you're going to carry those around. You're never going to have a happy marriage. You've got to get to a point that you're ready to put them down. And for years, I've recommended to my couples if there's a lot of past hurt that you're both bringing up over and over about each other, I want you to get a box. I want you to write down on paper all of those past things you're you're still mad about. I want you to put them all in the box, and you or your spouse go out in the backyard and bury it a good three feet under the ground. Yeah. Bury that stuff. Come back in the house and make the agreement with each other that that stuff cannot be ever brought up again unless you're first willing to go and dig up the box.
9: Ah, that's good. So if you
11: want to bring it up that bad, you got to go out in the backyard and dig the box up. Wow. Nobody will do it. <laughs> Nobody will do it. Yeah. So let the past go. And the other thing about forgiveness I want you to just get today is that you can't stay in judgment and criticism of your spouse yet feel like your value is the same and you're good enough all the time. Right. You're you're giving power to a perspective. So you either have to decide that we all have the same value and that no mistake changes that value or affects us. And, and if you give that to your spouse every day, that, hey, you know, I, I didn't like how you treated me yesterday, but this is all a lesson. We, we're both growing from this, but it doesn't change your value. The more you give that... The more you will get that that's the truth for you, too, and your own self-esteem will be even better. Yeah. But forgiveness has got to be a two-way street.
2: So one of the big tricks then is to make sure that we really do buy into that mindset of we have the same value. Everybody's got the same value. And my behavior towards you needs to reflect that.
11: Absolutely. Wow. Because that's, that's what we want. And, mm-hmm. and I ha- actually had a client recently who said to me, but shouldn't my spouse have to be accountable for those mistakes that he made? And I said, well, do you want to go back and be held accountable day after day <laughs> for every mistake you've made? Oh, yeah,
9: yeah. No,
11: I just wanted to have that on him. Right? Mm-hmm. Folks, it doesn't work. If you stay in judgment, you will also always feel like you're not enough. So let's just let everybody be a struggling student in the classroom of life with the same value as us. And let every mistake be a lesson, a chance for each of us to grow and learn, but mistakes don't change your value. And I I know it sounds really simple, but it will change your marriage in a really profound way when we get out of that scorekeeping judgment right space
2: yeah well he did this and so now i'm allowed to do this and wow yeah kim thank you so much we always enjoy having you on the program and uh very timely topic is there one thing one other yeah, thing you wanted to mention thing, before we go to break
11: um, my website claritypointcoaching.com yes. we actually are doing a weekend marriage mastery retreat in april and it's going to be a lot of fun, probably at the Zermont up in Midway, and you're going to get two days to really work on your marriage and have some romance with your spouse. So All check right. that out if you're interested.
2: Excellent. So, yeah, if you're interested in doing that, check it up on uh, Clarity, claritypointcoaching.com. All right, coming up in April. And yeah, like I said, such a timely topic, too, with Valentine's Day tomorrow. But we don't have to relegate our love for our significant other to just one day. We should do it every day. (laughs) We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk to Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation, see what's coming up on their program. Until then, uh, we'll take a quick break and reflect upon the things we just heard from our good friend Kim Giles. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away in Vegas. And uh, right now, we've talked about over the course of the program, we've been celebrating Clean Out Your Computer Day. And we're now going to speak with two gentlemen who I'm sure, who's, uh, their, their desktops are squeaky clean. They don't have any clutter on there. Spencer and, Spencer and Jerem of BYU Sports Nation. Hello, fellas. How you doing?
5: Fantastic. Mine's pretty clean, but Jerem has uh, infiltrated all desktops with the pizza song by one Brack from Space Ghost Coast to Coast. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: no. I don't know. I heard him doing a squeaky clean sound effect in the background. So
1: I'm going to tweet at uh, Matt Townsend Show. Is that the handle? Yes. Dr. Matt Show. Dr. Dr. Matt Matt Show. Show. Yeah,
5: yeah,
1: Tell Terry, thanks. Uh, Dr. Matt Show. I'm going to tweet you the link to this, okay? Okay. Tweeted. This is the pizza song from... Cartoon Network. Oh, boy. Uh, Rack is the name of the character. Yeah, it's... This is along the same lines as, like, star Runner type of humor here. See, Nonsense. Now, okay. <laughs> so See, You're going, it's, you're going it's, to enjoy it. It's reasons, the show.
2: Yeah, it's reasons like this why I have a dirty desktop, because I'll save something to my desktop sure. thinking, oh, I'll just delete it later, I'll move it into a different folder, and then that never happens.
1: Now, Jerem has this saved to his desk. I, uh, actually, <laughs> so I played it for my daughter over the weekend. She loves it, and my wife hates it. So I just texted it to my wife because I like making my wife mad. Uh, so, so I just texted it to her, so I already had it copied. It was, it was pasted in my clipboard.
2: We've already got it. Showed up. Yep. Thank you very much. Yeah, you can retweet that if you want. We'll be watching it, and, uh, then we'll delete it. Um. That's good. You need to keep it clean, man. <laughs> Did either of you go see the Lego Batman movie over the weekend? I'm
1: going no, tomorrow.
5: No, but I will see it this week. Really? Our producer, Ben Bagley, went.
2: So, um. I told Terry earlier on the show, I my parents were in town this weekend. I gave my father one instruction, which was, don't go see the Lego Batman movie without us. Oh. And he did. Win. Yeah. Natural. He did. Yeah. It was too difficult for him to follow that one works, instruction.
1: You can't stop your dad. You can only help to contain him.
2: That's true. We just had a guest that talked about, you can only change you. You can't change other people.
1: That's great advice.
2: Yeah. Anyway, uh today is also madly in love with me day. And I don't like think you specifically, Jeff well, Simpson. Well, that would be fantastic. Could okay, you could you it. just love me?
1: We do. Oh. As fellow BYU radio cohorts. I see. Yeah.
5: Hmm.
2: Well, thank can you, you feel the love. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel the love tonight. Um Yes, but no, I think it's more of a general sense. I, oh. I, the day before Valentine's the Day, day before. Love, love yourself. Because you're, you're giving love to other people on Valentine's Day, but take a day for yourself and just love yourself. And, That's uh, a little weird. Yeah, okay. yeah. Anyway, I'm not allowed to. I can't do anything just for myself. So. Yeah. Anyway, man of w- service. <laughs> what's coming up on your show here in uh, eight minutes and three seconds?
5: Well, other than the pizza song. I'm oh. sure we'll make its way hey, onto the James show somehow. <laughs> it will somehow get into the show. Jeremy will find a way.
1: Yeah. Probably not. But We're going to talk about uh, BYU hoops. Yoli Childs is a freshman uh, who had a 23-point, 17-rebound performance and a 16-point win for BYU at San Francisco. Wow. The best road performance for the Cougars all year. We're going to talk about what you want to see from Yoli Childs the rest of the season. Mm. 20- Holy Yoli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More Yoli Childs, please. I'll, I'll take a uh, double order of that. Also, where, where
2: is he coming from? I'm sorry. Where is he coming Bingham from? Bingham
1: High School, yeah. South Jordan, Utah. Yes. Ah. Top 100 high school prospect nationally. Um, he, w- Yeah, he was on that yellow bus last year. He went to prom like 10 months ago. Oh my now gosh. he's getting 23 and 17. From Local me. boy. Local kid to my arch rival, but that's all right.
2: And then Spencer, I cut you off. What would oh, you, what you All good.
1: All good. I get cut off a lot.
5: He's used that. to it. <laughs> uh, what do New York City BYU basketball? Anyway, going and, for two picks <laughs> and bracketology <laughs> have to do with each other. Uh, yes. Ah, yes. Mm. Mm. Something that BYU fans might not want to discuss, but we've got to go. We go there. We have to discuss it.
1: Got to go there. Donald yeah. or, Trump? No. Oh, good guess though. Nobody not wants really.
2: to discuss that, and he's New York. True. And, yeah. Hey,
1: that's, that's a fantastic
5: point. <laughs> and there was a uh, record-breaking performance from a BYU athlete over the weekend. Hmm.
1: Fantastic who, stuff. Yeah, who, who uh, did something that hardly anyone in NCAA history has done? We'll tell you that coming up. Ah. And they are going for two picks. So every game we, we have two picks in the game, things we think are going to happen. We have this running contest going. Uh, Spencer crushed it, and I almost crushed it. So that's, that's called an out in baseball. Yes, Allowed out. Hey,
2: by the way, you guys gave me a hard time the other day for being a Dodger fan. Are you not uh, baseball fans very much?
5: Oh, I oh no, we're baseball fans. Was it Jerem that gave you a hard time just, for being a Dodger
1: fan? Because I, I, don't I don't remember giving you a hard time.
2: You just don't I like classic. You just, classic, where you're from, so you just I, don't like classic baseball organizations.
1: Oh, I'm more of a Brooklyn Dodgers guy than I'm <laughs> LA.
2: But oh, yeah. so you're you're old school. Jerem was a Mariners
1: fan. I'm a Mariners fan. Hey, I we have no hope.
2: I lived in Seattle. But I root Seattle's for the Mariners.
1: An amazing team. And
5: I am an Orioles fan and will be forever and ever. I can't tell you how frustrated
2: I was to move from Seattle and to see the sports teams there finally start having winning records. Like, they won the Super Bowl after I moved out. The Classic. Mariners started getting, they you know, playing plus 500 ball after we left. Yeah. So.
1: I'm sorry. <sighs> but I am glad that you moved, though, for the sake of my Mariners and my Seattle.
5: Wait, for the <sighs> sake of your marriage or your mariners? My marriagers.
1: Oh, okay.
5: The marriagers.
2: All right. Spencer and Jeremy, we got to cut you loose so that you can get ready for your show. That's in four minutes and 58 seconds.
1: If we're not ready now, it ain't happening. Oh. We ready. We, we ready. We ready.
2: All right. They ready. Well, go and knock them dead, as Matt likes to say, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. All
1: right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Go Doyas. us.
2: <laughs> wow.
4: What guys are there at Sports
2: Nation? (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we've got one or two other fun stories to share with you before we head on over to Sports Nation and get to our hero story, as we always like to do at the end of the show. Thousands of blue blubber—what a fun word to say, by the way— thousands of blue blubber jellyfish have washed up at an Australian beach, surprising locals and marine experts. Charlotte Lawson, 24, took photos of the jellyfish at Queensland Deception Bay after noticing an unusual color in the water. "'When we got closer, we realized it was jellyfish,' she told the BBC. "'It was like bubble wrap across the beach.'" Although a common sight on Australia's east coast, the mildly venomous marine stinger is rarely seen in such numbers. According to local reports, more than 22,800 swimmers were treated for stings by another jellyfish species, the blue bottle, another fun word to say, blue bottle, on the Sunshine Coast from 1st of December to the 31st of January. So watch out for those jellyfish. You ever been stung by a jellyfish? No, but I mean, Mm. I think
4: we all know how you're supposed to treat it, right?
2: Put some jelly over it.
4: Well, you're you're supposed to put something on it, but
2: I thought it was jelly. No, I don't think that's that's why it's called jellyfish, right? Because they don't have any actual jelly. This isn't SpongeBob on their bodies. Is that what how it goes in SpongeBob? They put jelly on it? No, I think the jellyfish produce jelly. Is oh, yeah, interesting. All right. Well, one other fun story here. Big game hunters in Montana may be able to start wearing pink next season under a bill being considered All by right. state lawmakers. Finally! <laughs> Senate Fish and Game Committee voted 9-2 Thursday to introduce the bill that gives hunters the option to wear fluorescent pink instead of the orange they are required to wear now for safety reasons. Republican Senator Jennifer Fielder says legislators want to add a color option that's more attractive to the female hunters or guys who like pink. The bill faced opposition from Senator Chaz Vincent, another Republican who says hunters shouldn't be required to wear safety colors. Uh, okay. Wisconsin passed a bill allowing hunters to wear pink last year. So finally. I can go hunting now. I've, those pink levin. I can't hunters, wear the orange.
4: Orange just clashes with my eyes. I have to wear pink. Pink really brings them out.
2: So uh, hunters are now equal opportunity color lovers. I don't know if that made any sense, but you get the gist of what I was trying to say. <laughs> it all makes sense. Yeah. Sir. As you know, we like to end the show here with our hero story of, of today of the day. A New York governor helps a motorist struck in or stuck in snow during the storm. A motorist stranded on a New York highway during Thursday's snowstorm received assistance from a passerby who just happened to be the governor. Governor Andrew Cuomo's office says the Democrats motorcade was traveling on the Sprain Brook Parkway in Westchester County around 3 p.m. Thursday when it came upon a driver stuck on a roadside snow Bank in Hawthorne. Cuomo checked on the unidentified driver and then helped attach tow cables from his security details SUV onto the man's car. The governor and his security team successfully pulled the car free. Cuomo's chief of staff, Melissa uh, DeRosa, tweeted out pictures of the snow rescue. You see, even with everything going on in politics these days and and kind of muddled opinions that people have of our politicians, there is still some good left in them. They can help people out on the road and so can you. And it doesn't even have to be a roadside rescue. It can be something on a day-to-day basis that's smaller. And one of our guests earlier today said, why not just pay for the person behind you in line and just Do it for the satisfaction of knowing that you made that person's day a little better and not for the thank you. So look for those opportunities to be a hero, and you will find them. I promise they are out there. That's it for today's show. When we come back tomorrow, uh, we're going to continue the discussion, continue the, the fun. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Later on in the week, you'll even hear from Dr. Matt once again once he's back from Vegas. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll talk again tomorrow.